Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at obsessiveviewer.com, and while every episode will always be free, if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer for tons of bonus audio content, including TV and book, book reviews, uh, immediate reaction movie reviews, Patreon potpourri episodes, movie commentary tracks, and uh, early access to anything we release. <laughs> I'm your host, Matt Hurd, and with me today is, of course, Tiny and a recurring co-host and creator of TheMovieState.com, Mr. Ben Sears. How is it going, you guys, this evening? It's going good, man. Nice. Wonderful. Very nice. And, uh, and yes, yeah, so today on the show, we are going to be continuing our series covering the movies on... Uh, Roger Ebert's great movies list. Uh, in this installment, we'll be sharing our thoughts on Fritz Lang's M, Spielberg's The Color Purple, and Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia. But first, uh, Ben, why don't you tell us what's new and what's coming up on your website, themoviestate.com? Uh, yeah, we're uh, uh, in the thick of uh, fall festival season. Uh, so uh, really exciting uh, stuff coming out soon hopefully i'll have a uh review of blonde uh oh, nice the anna de armis andrew dominic movie relatively mm-hmm. soon um uh what else uh weekly episodic reviews of the lord of the rings show the rings of power nice. um just a couple other random things i am uh excited to announce though i'll be mm-hmm. starting a new feature uh, on the website this month. Um, uh, so we, we talked a lot in Patreon about, uh, TV shows and the Emmys and stuff we've been watching, Mm -hmm. uh, on the TV side, but I'm going to be, uh, doing a new TV project, uh, where I go, uh, well, full disclosure, this is more or less something that I am stealing from Todd Vanderwerf or Emily (laughs) Vanderwerf. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, or maybe it was Alan, Alan Sepinwall. I forget mm-hmm. who did it originally where they would go back and they would, um, they would just pick a random season of a random TV show and just review episode by episode. So oh, that's what I'll be doing. Uh, but the, the concept is that I'll be, uh, scheduling it around seasons of the year. So starting okay. the first day of fall, I'll be starting a new TV show starting the first, uh, day of winter etc etc nice and the first uh season uh the first tv show that i'll be uh talking about is season two of community oh nice uh a show that i love and haven't Mm -hmm. rewatched since it originally aired so i'm excited to check that out uh weekly reviews uh starting on uh what is the 22nd uh Uh, that would be thursday yeah yeah so yeah uh just check that out uh every thursday and i'll probably do uh i think two episodes at a time and 
um, yeah. Um, nice. If anyone has any suggestions for future uh, installments, uh, I'd be happy to take suggestions. I've got a list going mm-hmm. currently, but uh, welcome to any suggestions. Sweet. I, cool. I don't want to do like The Wire mm-hmm. or Breaking Bad or uh, Sopranos mm-hmm. or uh, I don't know, just because I feel like those have already been covered well enough. Oh yeah. But um hmm. So did anything in particular go into your decision to like cover community this time around or um not really just uh there was that was a really formative show for me. I nice. feel like so uh and like I said I haven't rewatched any of it since it originally aired so I'm wondering if it uh holds up as well and i i just remember that that was like one of if not the best season of that show then one of the best so uh yeah i know a couple other ones that are on my list are like uh boardwalk empire season three oh interesting um, okay mad men season four um i uh Maybe possibly uh, I'll do a season of the original Star Trek. Oh, uh, somewhere yes. soon. Oh yeah, just because I've I've actually uh, I realized this I've never watched any single piece of Star Trek entertainment. Oh wow, never seen the original show, never seen any of the movies or any of the uh, TV spinoffs or cartoons or anything. So, wow. So wait, have you not seen? That's su- surprising. Have you not seen the Chris Pine? movies nope oh wow oh that kind of blows my Dang, mind a man. little bit <laughs> yeah um <laughs> i was i was a broke college kid when those came oh, out so, that's fair uh huh. yeah that's interesting i mean star trek i i mean i'm i i am by no means like a diehard lifelong trekker or anything but like I, watching the original series, I watched it maybe five, six years ago. Um, and like, it was just, it was a really interesting experience. Cause it was just like, this is, this is like premium. Like there's a reason why it's birthed. Like, so like it has such a long standing thing. Cause that original series is near perfect in terms of, you know, science fiction and, uh, social commentary and everything um it's it's amazing i i absolutely adore it um yeah, yeah. that's interesting very interesting yeah. uh yeah i'm excited but yeah like i said if anyone has any future uh suggestions uh let me know nice any um, any plans to look into hannah montana at all or <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can do a guest column for that <laughs> <laughs> maybe i will nice. <laughs> yeah um and then also uh weekly poll questions as always uh, uh yes this week's is uh uh what's your favorite robert zemeckis movie kind of in honor mm-hmm. of the disney plus uh pinocchio mm-hmm. um yeah yeah have either of you watched pinocchio the new one you yep. okay you have no. been okay nope i haven't um ben is it as bad as people are saying yeah okay (laughs) yeah uh, it's it's just incredible to me that these 
Disney live action remakes or whatever are mm-hmm. uh, just fail to justify their own existence yeah. uh, anymore. Ugh. It's like, what is the point of this? Yeah. And they <laughs> what are announced, we doing here? And they've announced plenty of, like, there's no slowing it or anything. Yeah. Like, I, I, I was, I, um, I wanted to like tweet this or whatever, but I didn't get around to it. But um, they announced at D23 that um, uh, that the Lion King is going to have a prequel that's Mufasa, yeah. the Lion King. And <laughs> like, I don't know, in my yeah. head, I was like, it would be kind of funny if like the prequel is just Mufasa like being a prince for like 70 years until his mom dies and he finally gets to become king. Um <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. I, I I don't know who asked for that. Like no. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> Cash grab. Yeah. Yeah. That's all you can say yeah. pretty much. Oh yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the I even no, Pinocchio is not good. Mm-hmm. Um I didn't know it was Robert Zemeckis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you, what it, did you guys watch Welcome to Marwin? No. Yeah, yeah, I hated it so much. <laughs> it was, yeah, good God, yeah. Did was, you guys also know he did a HBO Max movie last year? Robert Zemeckis? For, yeah, mm, it was uh, no. a remake of The Witches with uh, Anne Hathaway. No shit. No, <laughs> what? Yeah, <laughs> it was... Do you, you guys do you guys remember that movie The Witches from when we were kids? I forget who was in it originally, no. maybe like Angelica Houston, where uh there was a kid who discovers that uh this uh hotel or whatever that she's staying at is run by witches oh, and they're wow. creepy and weird. I'm I'm looking it up now. I have no memory of this. Yeah. Um it was I mean it barely yeah. happened. So Wow. Uh it was bad. From, from 1990? Yeah. That sounds right. Huh. Okay, yeah, I'm looking now. I maybe saw this Angelica Houston's ringing some bells. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Wow. I don't know. I maybe saw this. Huh. Yeah, I had no idea that he did that. Huh. Um Yeah. Funny anecdote about Robert Zemeckis or about Pinocchio is my favorite, one of my favorite um, letterboxed uh, reviews. I think this is like the most popular uh, letterboxed review for Pinocchio. It's one and a half stars. And all it says is the second film of the year where Tom Hanks plays a European caricature alongside an exploited puppet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I thought that was really, really clever. (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so yeah and i still haven't seen elvis um i'm gonna have to catch up on all of this stuff um in the coming Uh, months um so uh uh i i i'm guessing that your guys's favorite zemeckis movie is uh uh back to the future yeah without question for me yeah Mm, yeah i i mean i kind of want to say forrest gump hmm Okay. Yeah. I'd say Forrest Gump or Back to the Future. Yeah. Yeah. Did well, he, oh. uh no votes have been uh have been uh 
nobody has voted for either of those movies yet. So mm-hmm. feel free to uh, cast your vote at themoviestate.com. I will be, I will definitely One. be casting away my vote one that i will definitely (laughs) stick up for uh is one of it's like the second movie that he made but uh used cars is fantastic it's uh interesting it's this really funny uh kurt russell vehicle Mm -hmm. and it's just it's so silly and weird and uh it's really funny it's like on Mm -hmm. pluto tv or something but Mm -hmm. highly recommend that one Nice. Um, cool. Yeah. I just voted for Back to the Future. And, uh, okay. Yeah. And I voted for Forrest Gump. Nice. Have you guys watched Forrest Gump in recent years? Does it hold up? Because I haven't seen it since uh, a very long time. Been a while for me. I mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't even remember. Yeah. I, I, I haven't watched it like all the way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I've probably caught snippets of it here and there. Okay. I actually, I read the sequel, the the book that uh, was supposed to be the basis for the movie's sequel. Oh, okay. Uh, earlier this year. It's <laughs> awful. <laughs> oh, wow. It's so bad. Jeez. That's wild. I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the guy cranked it out after the movie came out oh, in yeah. like six weeks or something. Good God. That's <laughs> <Wow>. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Do you guys want to dive into our Ebert's Great Movies list uh, section here? Yeah. Um, sure. Okay. So, yeah. Once again, check out themoviestate.com. Also, you can follow Ben on Twitter at themoviestate and on Letterboxd at Ben Sears. Um, and then Tiny is, of course, on Letterboxd at uh, Obsessive Tiny. And uh, I I think he, he do you ever browse Twitter, Tiny? Every once in a while, yeah. So but give him a follow. Not that often. At yeah. obsessive tiny. So yeah. oh, it's the best. There's nothing wrong with it. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you've warmed up to it. <laughs> there's there's nothing <laughs> negative to say about Twitter. Yes, or the people that run it. Yes, yes. Um, also follow us on Truth Social. Um, <laughs> that is a joke. Matt, you're running that page, right? No, God, no. <laughs> um, okay, well, yeah, let's get into our <laughs> Ebert's Great Movies list series. Uh, you can find an archive, uh, the archive page on the website specifically for this review series at obsessiveviewer.com slash Ebert series. And, um, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and play the stinger for our Ebert's Great Movies list, uh, review series, and then we'll get into it. No name is more synonymous with film criticism than Roger Ebert's. Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world. Millions of despairing men, women, and children. People say do film critics have too much power. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. We can help a movie. We can help a movie by sharing our enthusiasm. We can't necessarily hurt a movie that is destined to be a big hit anyway. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. And then Roger Ebert gets up. What I uh, find very offensive and condescending about your statement is nobody would say to a bunch of white filmmakers, how could you do this to your people? Let us all unite! 
So, of course, the concept for this review series is that we each select a single movie from Roger Ebert's Great Movies list, that which is comprised of over 300 movie titles, and we review and discuss them in a special series of podcast episodes, and I spent a lot of time setting up the new equipment with the, uh, with the uh, audio and everything. I did not realize it was that faint, <laughs> so I'm sorry for the low volume. I'm going to probably fix that in post. But anyway... Um, yeah, so, uh, the quote that's attributed to Roger Ebert is, One of the gifts a movie lover can give another is the title of a wonderful film they have not yet discovered. Here are more than 300, uh, reconsiderations and appreciations of movies from the distant past to the recent past, all of movies that I consider worthy of being called great. And as this is the 15th installment of this, you guys should all know that, uh, what, what we do here. Uh, this time we're going to be covering, um, in chronological order, by release date, uh, the movies M, uh, The Color Purple, and Magnolia. So, um, yeah, do you guys have any thoughts on the... Oh, oh, I do have something to say before we get into our review of M. Uh, today, did you guys uh, hear about this, that um, uh, Ebert's Great Movies list alum uh, uh, Jean-Luc uh, Goddard died today? Um yeah, because he... Yes, yes, I did. Yes, he directed Cleo from 5 to 7. How dare you? Did I... No. No? That was Agnes Varda. Oh, god damn it, yes. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, okay. Ah, uh, dang it, I was going to double no. check that. Uh, did he have anything to do with that? Uh, I mean, he was also French. Uh, he was an so. actor in that. Okay. God damn it. Uh, I was all, uh, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, but yeah, we have not covered any of his movies in it. I had a whole thing. I am, I am very close to just redoing that whole section. I'm but, uh, quitting this podcast. I know. I'm not going to, I'm going to leave it here. I'm so sorry. Uh, with respect to Agnes Varda, um, Jean-Luc Godard passed away today and he has uh, I th- uh, multiple movies on the Ebert's list. Am I correct in that? Or ha- am I going to put my foot even further in my mouth? <laughs> There's at least two. Mm-hmm. There's Breathless and is... Uh, Vive Savi, I think is what it's called. Okay. And, okay. There might be one or two other ones, but I don't gotcha. know for sure. I was looking earlier today. Okay. Wow. Well, I uh, I am very breathless <laughs> with with my embarrassment. Um, but Ben, have you watched it, any of John Luke Godard's movies? I have only seen Breathless. Okay. Tiny, how about you? Uh, I'm not familiar with them at all. Okay. And Ben, what were you going to say? Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, well, I was just going to say, coincidentally, uh, the Agnes Varda connection, uh, she did a documentary very late in her life where uh, she went to go and visit him. Oh, and uh, they were going to, you know, talk and because I I don't think they had really spoken all that much. Hmm. And there's a, a moment where uh, she goes to his house and he like leaves up 
a note on his front door and I forget exactly what it says, but it was kind of a dick thing, <laughs> uh, whatever it said. And she was very like distraught and called him a dirty rat and uh, was not too happy about it. So he wow. was kind of famously a dick, uh, <laughs> kind of famously, um, I don't know if I want to say provocative, but just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, made some interesting statements every once in a while. Okay. Interesting. So. Yeah. Well, um, have I lost all credibility? <laughs> <laughs> to to make up for it, you mm. can uh, go and see Breathless at the Can-Can this week. That's true. It is playing at the Can-Can this week. It uh, mm-hmm. It's playing until the 15th, I think. So I think mm-hmm. this is... This is going to come out after that, but um, hopefully you guys got a chance to see it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I've i seen Breathless uh, once. I think I saw mm-hmm. it last year. Okay. Uh, it's um, maybe I should save my thoughts. I, I don't think <laughs> I'm going to pick it for the next time. But, okay. Um, uh, it's, it's interesting. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll pick it sooner or later because mm-hmm. uh, it's it's worth a discussion for sure okay nice if i didn't already have my pick picked out i would have uh uh probably picked something along those lines but yeah so anyway rest in peace to agnes varda <laughs> and is she still she's she's not alive is she, she she passed away in 2019 okay well rest in peace to both of those filmmakers <laughs> Um, yeah. Um, okay. Should we get into the first movie of the night? Yep. Okay. Sure. Nice. All right. Well, we are going to be covering first off M from 1931 by Fritz Lang. Um, as is normally the case and is customary, we're going to be doing a non-spoiler review followed by a spoiler review, which I will separate with a clip from the trailer. Um, and Ben, this was your pick for this edition. Um, can you kind of introduce the movie to us and tell us what compelled you to choose it for this edition of the Ebert's Great Movies List uh, series? Yeah, uh, so M, uh, directed by Fritz Lang, came out in 1931. Plot description. When the police in a German city are unable to catch a child murderer, other criminals join in the manhunt. Um, I mostly just picked this. I don't know why, but I've always been kind of curious about this movie, at least for a while. And uh, it gave me an excuse to buy the Criterion Blu-ray uh, during the last Barnes & Noble sale. So that was mostly nice. it. Um, I I didn't really know anything about it going into it. So um, uh, I, I don't know why. Like I said, I've just kind of been drawn to it and just been curious about it. Nice. Um, and have you watched any of uh, uh, Fritz Lang's other movies? Um, or is this your first uh, one? So it turns out I have watched one of his uh, called You Only Live Once. Okay. Um, but like I, I was looking that up and I, I apparently watched it like in the early days of the, the pandemic and I mm. remember nothing about it. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, this was my first real Fritz Lang uh, movie, I guess. So 
Um, nice. uh, this was uh, really cool. I'm excited to talk about it. Sweet. Yeah. Um, Tiny, do you have any history with Fritz Lang or M? And uh, yeah, what was your experience? Uh, what? Yeah, do you have any history with it? And then we can circle back around to Ben to to talk about it. Um, I have no history with M. I wasn't too familiar with it. Um, uh, I don't have any Fritz Lang experience either, but uh, I've always wanted to see um, Metropolis just because it's, um, you know, an early movie and it's Mm -hmm. uh, supposed to be visually pretty impressive. So I've always wanted to see that. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, I have no, uh, I don't have any um, experience with uh, the movie or the director. Yeah, same here. Um, even down to the Metropolis thing. I've always wanted to see Metropolis, but just never got around to it. And I will say after seeing M, I'm very interested in seeing Metropolis um, and more Fritz Lang yeah. stuff. But but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Ben, how did you feel about M? Uh, I was blown away. Um, uh, like I said, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know... Uh, if this was going to be a silent movie, because, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, this came out the same year as Charlie Chaplin's City Lights, so I figured it was could very plausibly be a silent movie. I didn't know if it would be in English or German or what. Um, but, yeah, I, w- I was blown away. I really liked um, the uh, – we'll, we'll get into it, uh, but I, I just was really impressed by the – uh, the clear influences that this movie has had on just an entire genre, maybe multiple genres of movies through over the past almost hundred years. Uh, so that, that was really incredible to me and not to mention the story I thought was really interesting and the way it played out was really cool too. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I was, I was blown away by this as well. And it's interesting that I think, and I mean, uh, my foot's already in my mouth anyway, but um, it's interesting that you you picked this movie. And then in the early days of this review series, you picked uh, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which is also a German movie. Um, mm-hmm. And it's interesting because both movies are obviously very, very influential in their own ways. But it's just it's really interesting to see the see a, an early 20th century <laughs> German movie. Uh, that's not like an expressionist, like an expressionist movie or anything. It's more straightforward, but it is it is absolutely like it contains so many hallmarks that we've come to know and we know of in like the psychological thriller, the detective story kind of thing. And it's just what was what really stood out to me is like clearly like the restoration that went into it. Um, I didn't get, I didn't get to see it on Blu-ray or anything, but I did watch it on HBO max, which um, they have the criterion edition of it. So it's definitely been restored and touched up and everything. And it is, it is stunning to me. And it's an interesting kind of, kind of companion to an extent to like the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, because it has like this very, geometric kind of kind of thing with the aspect ratio being pretty tight and then having like the framing of and the composition of certain sequences just looks so geometrically appealing if that makes sense like the scene where one of the criminals is running down the steps 
and going through like several several flights of stairs and it's just this big wide open thing but it's a tight shot it's just it looks just stunning to me and the it just it it looks really good and it really makes me interested to see more of Fritz Lang's work um yeah 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 tiny how did you feel about M um i wasn't as blown away as uh, as you guys were um i think i kind of failed to as a viewer kind of failed to contextualize the movie um it felt a little a little bit like an early procedural, I guess, um, mm. because so much, so much of the dialogue is mired down in the police and the public and the criminals all talking about how they're going to catch this guy. Mm-hmm. And it was a little drab for me. Um, I, I'd say that's half the dialogue easily. It's just like, okay, how are we going to catch this guy? And it's, it's not, particularly interesting um it's it's a lot of back and forth um and so that kind of dragged it down for me a little bit um but i i think i think that's the lack of con that's the lack of contextualization on my part like this was made in 1931 Mm -hmm. uh i think i read this is the first time that fritz lang used audio used Mm -hmm. uh uh, di- yeah. recorded dialogue for a movie um which is impressive and um i'm not 100 percent sure on the historical place of 1930 1931 when they were making this but i believe the nazi party was on the rise mm-hmm. and uh peter Lorre is jewish i believe um mm-hmm. fritz lang is half jewish uh, they both fled germany uh i know i read that later on um but I'm sure there were a lot of Jewish Germans involved with this movie and um, the movie was banned in Germany and all that stuff by the Nazis and it wasn't viewed until the mid 60s, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of really, really interesting history. Uh, it's kind of a miraculous that the movie even survived to today mm-hmm. till today. Um, so, you know, all those things working against this movie makes it pretty miraculous and a really incredible piece of art you know it's it's like something making it through a war you know Mm -hmm. um but but yeah just just some of that dialogue was a little a little dreary for me um but i mean the the ending is just super good um and peter lorry is i I, i've been a fan of his for a long time um Mm -hmm. he he was in kind of a silly i don't know if silly is the right word but a uh live action disney movie in the 50s with uh um, twenty thousand leagues under the sea, and oh. for whatever reason, for whatever reason, me and my brother loved that movie, and we used to watch <laughs> it all the time. I, wow. I, it's not very good. I think I watched it like fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, God, this kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> um, uh, Kirk Douglas, Kirk Douglas is the lead in it. Hmm. Um, it's 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 just a goofy ass movie, but yeah. So I I, I knew who Peter Laurie was since I was a kid, um, and you know he's Maltese Falcon and oh, yeah. several other performances. But uh, mm-hmm. I mean, this is like one of his first movies, and he's he's just amazing. He, he has such a good physical presence on screen. Um, he's known for his physical, you know, his appearance and all that. But uh, he obviously has some acting chops. Which he yeah. which he was on full display in this movie. So yeah, there, there's a lot of good things about it. But I I think I just kind of. Some of it just kind of was lost on me when I viewed mm-hmm. it, maybe, if, if that makes sense. So, 
Interesting. That's that's really interesting because the procedural aspect of it is something that I was particularly taken with. I I found it to be really engaging specifically because it is that kind of duality of the police investigation and the criminal underworld kind of taking it into their own hands and the way that those machinations kind of work separate from one another is really interesting to me. Um, granted, it's not necessarily as well developed as I probably would have liked it to be in terms of a duality of, of, you know, um, of conflict or duality of, of investigation even, but I was pretty engaged by all of it. And, um, when it gets to the ending, um, like I agree, Peter Lorre is, is absolutely astounding in this. Like, I think he is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that goes a very long way. Um, and I don't know, Ben, are you going to bring up any of the trivia because I was going to, I have one in the chamber for Tiny. <laughs> um, but if you were going to talk about it, about the husband and wife thing with Fritz Lang. Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, so it's interesting, Tiny, that you said about about Nazism and the Nazis were on the rise and everything. I think that, I think the Nazi party took power like two years after this movie, maybe. Or, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And in the process of making it like this was the last uh from what i read this was the last collaboration between fritz lang and his wife uh thea von harbo who um or harbu um who co-wrote the script with him um and he basically what happened was she became a member of the nazi party <laughs> and uh and like that that rift just was ir irreconcilable oh i think he she also cheated on him um and they divorced and during the production and they never worked together again. But that's what I, that's what I understood from my scant reading on IMDb. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. Maybe anti, anti-Semitism was on the rise or something like that. Maybe yeah. that's what yeah. I was thinking I mean, of. Yeah. They, they weren't in power, but they were definitely around. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they were yeah, storming I... the Capitol building and <laughs> starting their own social media <laughs> platform and everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I thought that uh, uh, I had known that Fritz Lang eventually moved to the U.S. And I wasn't mm -hmm. sure before he started this if this was before or after he had moved here. Mm -hmm. And I find it really fascinating, the uh, context, like we were saying, the, the Nazi context, because there is a way to read this where he is like openly critiquing the Nazis and just like yeah. the mob mentality of like early on when, when they have no clues and they're basically just putting police out there 24 seven on every street corner mm -hmm. and everyone who does anything even remotely suspicious is just like thrown in jail. Yeah. And that is just fascinating to me that that's uh, made it, <laughs> Uh, into the final yeah. portion of the movie because there is that social context uh, that is just fascinating. Yeah, that's true. And like being forced to show your show your papers and everything. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. that's yeah, that's a really interesting, interesting uh, angle. Ew. Yeah, I was I was going to bring up the mob mentality as well. Mm -hmm. That was um, that was really fascinating. I, I liked that. I, I wondered if that was. 
a subtle nod to something, mm-hmm. you know, to, to German politics at the time. Um, but yeah, just the, um, <laughs> we're not in spoilers yet. That's why I didn't bring mm-hmm. it up yet. Cause there's, there's an interesting mob mentality point at the end of the movie. But uh, yeah, I just, the, the authoritarianism and the, uh, um, the mob mentality is, is fascinating. Um, there's a really, really good scene early on where there's a guy just talking to a child on the street, maybe mm-hmm. trying to help her. I can't remember mm-hmm. exactly, but some big dude comes up and he's like, what are you doing? And yeah. then they just like, I think they take him to the cops and he gets arrested. And I was like, yeah. geez, this is, this is not good. Mm-mm. Yeah. Uh, there's just one really simple, just quick moment uh, where uh, the police are just, there's, there's like a line of them just walking down the street and just seeing that and knowing what was to come was just chilling. Yeah. Oh yeah. Jesus. Um, there's yeah, a, totally. a line that I love in uh, Roger Ebert's essay. Uh, if it'll load here. <laughs> um, uh, let's see elsewhere in the film, an innocent old man suspected of being the killer is attacked by a mob that forms on the spot each of the mob members was presumably capable of telling right from wrong and controlling his actions as Becker was not. And yet as a mob, they moved with the same compulsion to kill. There is a message. There is a message there somewhere, not somewhere really, but right up front where it's a wonder it escaped the attention of the Nazi censors. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. But um, yeah, I, I think uh, one other thing that just really blew me away uh, kind of early on, I think you were talking about it a little bit, Matt, where there's a long scene that cuts back and forth between the cops and the mobsters as they're like trying to formulate a plan. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really fascinating because that is yeah. such a trope these days of like the cops and the gangsters basically big, being two sides of the same coin yeah and just the understated way that fritz lang put that together in this was just incredible to me yeah oh i absolutely agree and to to the extent that i kind of wish that there was more of that in the movie um because it does seem to lean a little bit more on the police aspect of it until the criminals kind of take over and everything but overall like i thought it was it was spectacular i yeah yeah it was spectacular mm-hmm. um do you guys want to kind of talk about spoilers or is there anything else we can talk about in non-spoiler? I'm ready to go to spoilers if you guys are. Okay. Um, just real quick. I, I loved uh, some of the camera movements in this and yes. just some of the technical aspects. There's a, I, I really want to know how they did this because there's a, a really interesting uh, like zoom shot or a crane shot i guess where he starts out outside of a window and then he starts to like zoom in inside the window and you you can see the the pane of glass like sliding to the side as the camera moves in (laughs) yeah but uh he just continues to move in even more and it's it was just really there was some really incredible camera work in this especially knowing like the technical limitations of 1931 Oh, absolutely. And also, um, the fact that this was his first, um, sound picture, uh, Mm -hmm. was amazing. And there are moments where, and I don't know if this was a budgetary restraint or this was an artistic choice, but, 
um, there are moments where like the entire sound drops out entirely and like there it, it's almost it's almost to the extent of being its own its own soundtrack in terms of being a vacuum because the scenes that it drops out on are usually like big like like street level scenes that have like um kind of a big scope or they're chasing chasing him or the like corner cornering the guy um there's just a lot of like technical or there's a there's a level of proficiency that's brought into those moments where the sound is just completely dropped and we're just living in the sight of what's going on and i just i found that to be just really really captivating even if i couldn't fully comprehend exactly why it was happening that way um i was still just really engrossed by it yeah yeah yeah, the some of the camera stuff jumped out at me too especially the one through the window i was like oh shit they just did that (laughs) um also i'll point out some of the lighting especially uh Mm -hmm. during the there's a bit of a pursuit scene um some of the lighting in that is really good too. Um, I, I love lighting jumps out so well, I think in uh, black and white, yeah. I think um, in color, it gets sort of lost. I think everything mm-hmm. has to be lit when it's color, but in black and white, I feel like you can really do some cool stuff with lighting. And uh, yeah. that was, that jumped out to me in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, there's a really incredible uh, silent moment early on when the little girl is killed. And uh, it's just a montage of just different images. And uh, one is like a a balloon floating up into some electrical wires. I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I really liked those silent moments. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, but let's go ahead and talk about spoilers for M. Um, I'm going to play a brief clip from uh, the trailer. So here we go. And when we come back, we're going to be spoiling M. If you don't want to be spoiled on M, which, by the way, is streaming on HBO Max and available on Criterion um, Blu-ray and probably the Criterion channel as well. Um, but if you don't want to be spoiled, check the show notes for timestamps. Those show notes can be found in your podcast app or at obsessiveviewer.com slash OV381. So here's a clip from the trailer for M. And then when we come back, we're going to be spoiling the movie. So the first thing I want to bring up in spoilers just real quick is that this movie was uh, one of my personal like weirdly favorite like not subgenres but like it's in a class of movie that I kind of like when it pops up but it's the surprise courtroom drama (laughs) Um, (laughs) in a in a in a particular sense but uh but yeah but in spoilers what did you guys think of m uh ben if you want to get us kicked off since this was your pick yeah i i was uh i loved it um the uh, again you can see the influences from Mm -hmm. the end of this movie and just so many other uh movies in the past 90 something years uh and uh really it's it's not even really a spoiler to discover that Fritz or that uh, uh, Peter Lorre is the killer because it, yeah. he very 
clearly uh, outlines it early on mm-hmm. uh, in every time you see Peter Lorre, um, it, it's just so heavily implied that he's yeah. the killer. So uh, always love, you know, I, I think it would have been interesting if he would have withheld that, but I think mm-hmm. it uh, it's generally more interesting when he reveals it because it's not really about who the killer is uh, mm-hmm. overall. It's about what he's doing to the society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Tiny, how do you feel about it in spoilers? Um, I think, I think another thing that I would say is a bit of a detriment to the movie is that it's um, the characterization was a bit lacking to me. Um, okay. I feel like obviously Peter Laurie as, as Hans Beckert had some great characterization, of course. Um, and then the inspector, inspector Loman character kind of had some, some characterization as well, but I feel like everybody else was mostly just regurgitating lines mm. um, and didn't have a lot of personality, frankly. Um, but I mean, that's, it wasn't a big deal. Um, again, I think that's sort of played into the procedural part of it. Um, but yeah, I, um, I definitely liked the movie and, and, and I think I need to kind of see it again, maybe in a, in, in a different mindset. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I respect the hell out of it for 1931 in a, um, especially in a, I, I don't know the state of German cinema in the 1930s, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I can't imagine it was anywhere it didn't have anywhere near the enthusiasm that somewhere like Hollywood did, you know, it was probably yeah. very hard to get a film made in general. Um, and so to have, have the, uh, uh, resources to get it made was probably, uh, an achievement all on its own. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I definitely like the movie for sure. It's, it's, a, it's a really interesting, um, the, uh, the kind of mock court trial at the end mm-hmm. was my favorite part. And I thought that was very, um, kind of terrifying like mm-hmm. i mean just just to be thrown into that situation as as hans beckert peter laurie's character like that's just such a um such a thing to face you know that's it's just really he probably just was not expecting that at all you know <laughs> I, and i kind of thought with the criminals catching him i was thinking you know this is just going to be like an execution yeah. and just you know it's going to be pretty straightforward but uh that was really surprising and um Kind of, I kind of loved it. Like that was a brilliant stroke for the movie. Yeah, that was probably the most interesting aspect of the movie for me. Specifically, the uh, like in that moment, I don't know how much of this is me maybe not paying close enough attention to the movie, or me being very much um, in the mindset of the nearly hundred years of influence this has had on police procedurals and psychological thrillers and everything, but. In that moment when he is like facing his his court, um, facing like like that mass array of people, um, I was I kept thinking like, are am, am I supposed to know that he's the killer? Like, is there anything in this that is going to make me think that like, oh no, he's not actually the killer? This is all like a cautionary tale about mob mentality. But what I found really interesting is that he is the killer. He is like the kind of conflict in that, the kind of moment that I found really, really uh, captivating is the fact that it's presenting us with this man who has done the most reprehensible thing multiple times, murdering children. 
And then in the moment when he is facing justice, even if it's a mob justice, like it's kind of creating this not necessarily like explanation, but this thing that's like, yeah, it's a compulsion. Like I, I can't not do it. So can I go home? Um, like that kind of thing. And it's like, it's a weird thing. Cause in the mo in the moment, like in my head, I'm like, yeah, he needs to be removed from everywhere because he killed kids. But like, it's just, it, it's a really interesting kind of, um, humanistic side to it i think um that kind of shows a little bit it it really shows a lot of the complexity of you know the idea of criminal justice and and uh facing judgment and everything for horrendous things so i don't know yeah um did you guys also read the the trivia that um the courtroom scene was comprised of 24 actual criminals i did and 24 people were arrested yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) that's so awesome yeah yeah um to uh what you were saying tiny about not really uh connecting with any of the characters i can kind of understand that but also I don't think the characters are really the point of the movie, you know, like I, I don't think I could name a single character other than Beckert. And I'm okay with that because I think they're, the idea is more what those characters represent, you know, um, what, what they do to, uh, the people around them and how they affect, uh, change and how they are going to, write this injustice yeah i I agree i didn't necessarily need characterization um Mm -hmm. but my my issue with it was just the i mean just from a organizational level like i couldn't remember okay is this guy a cop or is this guy one of the criminals (laughs) or is this guy that like as kind of a which i guess speaks to the nature of uh policing in germany in Mm -hmm. the 1930s but uh (laughs) Uh, yeah, I, I, you're not wrong. Yeah, I totally, I totally get what you're saying. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to, uh, talk about the whole part, uh, the, the mock trial where, um, Hans Becker basically breaks down. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, that was my, that was the part of mob mentality that blew me away in the, in the movie. We were talking about that earlier on. Um, there was like, uh, a, b- a bunch of different people spouting off different ways to say, kill him it was kind Mm -hmm. of funny i was like how many different ways is there to say (laughs) kill this person um but then he has this really emotional breakdown and it's 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 very um shattering and and Mm -hmm. shocking and um it it evoked empathy in me um and then it's supposed to be this very earth-shattering moment in the movie and then (laughs) Somebody just yells out like, that's bullshit. Kill him, basically. And then everyone just gangs up. They're like, no, we just want to kill him. I was like, wow, that's just, yeah, that's really messed up because it was such a powerful uh, soliloquy or speech Mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call it. Then when he has that breakdown, it was it was really incredible. One of the most incredible parts of the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's just almost instantly written off. Yeah, Um, Mm -hmm. that was that was really powerful and a Mm -hmm. shocking part of the movie. I really I really kind of love that. Yeah, me too. That whole sequence is just, it's kind of astounding to me just how, uh, just uh, how good it is. <laughs> like you said, Tony, that, that empathy that that's created in it is, 
it, it's just really it, it's really spectacular. Yeah, and and Peter Laurie just crushes it. That's yeah. that's like yeah. one of the only lines of dialogue he has in the movie. That's right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, yeah, and it's kind of seeded really well with um, uh, the scene where he. I think it's where he's being tempted or he's he's about to kidnap a, a girl and then he goes to um he goes to like a little cafe and orders I think cognac um mm-hmm. and he's humming and he's like he's kind of beating himself in the head a little bit um and that's just kind of communicating that he's trying to get the demons out and everything and trying not to like he's at least semi-conscious of the evil that is within him or or even if he kind of later on uh, dismisses it as like, oh yeah, I black out. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, mm-hmm. He still has like that, that level of cognitive um, uh, kind of thoughts to to know that he's on the cusp of doing something horrendous. Yeah, that's another really fascinating point to it because. Um... Correct me if I'm wrong, but does someone at one point mention uh, Freud in this? Or am I thinking of something else that I watched? Oh, I don't think I I didn't I didn't catch any references to Freud, but it's possible okay. that it just completely that I missed it. Yeah, I don't I don't remember that specifically now. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Yeah. But, uh but maybe I, maybe I'm thinking of something else that I watched recently. I did read in trivia though that Peter Lorre, you know, he grew up in Austria in the mm-hmm. late 1890s or something like that. And he was actually a student of Sigmund Freud. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So I was like, that's Dang. that's an interesting connection. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So any other thoughts on on M? Uh, what, what else do we have for it? <laughs> um, I forgot to mention this when we were talking about the visuals, but I think the the visual of the guy with the M written on his hand is just iconic. Yes. It's a, an incredible uh uh visual moment. Yeah, absolutely like I I I was very I was very much delighted by that. And I, I yeah, that moment when when like when he when he does that and he puts the puts a hand mark on him and everything like that's really cool and I'm like oh I get it I that's that's neat I now have context for like the image of him looking in the mirror um, or looking in the reflection and seeing it but then when he that there was that moment where I just had like this deep dread where he it's it's the girl who says like oh you have a mark on your jacket here let me get it off for you and everything and I was just like. It's it was just wild to me to think that like how unsuspecting it is because this is like like she has no idea that this is literally the thing that could and would save her life but she's just like oh I'm being friendly to this nice stranger who gave me candy and everything and I'm going to I'm going to get this off of his back. It's just I I don't know there was something to that that just felt really uh just really tense in a very subtle way. Mhm. Definitely. Yeah. Um, the, the actual closing scene where Mm -hmm. they're showing the judges coming into a courtroom and then the, uh, the mother of, I think Elsie Beckman, who was, uh, one of the victims, uh, Mm -hmm. she has the, I guess it's probably the most famous line in the movie where she says this, something along the lines of this won't bring our children back or something like that. 
Yeah. Um, and then she says something that, like, please guard your children or keep, like, like a warning to... Right. Yeah. That was a little... Um, it felt a little clumsy, I guess. I, I don't know if we needed more of that or none of it. <laughs> I'm not I'm not really sure what would be better. Um maybe just showing him being sentenced would have given that a little more context or a little I don't know. It just that that was just an odd tacked on ending, I think. I I thought that hmm. was just kind of How did you guys feel about it? Hmm, Ben. Uh sorry, I that that moment isn't exactly fresh in my mind at hmm. the moment. So, um pass <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh i thought it was effective i thought it was it is very it's it's very direct and it's almost fourth wall breaking it's damn near fourth wall breaking it is fourth wall yeah. breaking um and i thought it was I, I thought it was fine i do agree it was a little bit direct but it's an interesting button on the movie as a whole um i think that it kind of creates this kind of overarching kind of idea but you're right there isn't enough of that any of that really in in the movie to kind of justify its presence at the end but i was mm-hmm. i was still kind of uh i was fine with it okay i do like the line the mm-hmm. lines that she says uh those are those are good but i did it just felt a little uh clumsy i guess yeah, yeah. that's fair um okay should we wrap up and give our uh give our ratings and, and whether or not it would be on our great movies list Yes, sir. Sure. All right, great. So, Ben, since this was your pick, we're going to save you for last, I guess. Um, And I'll go first, and I'll say that I I rated this on Letterboxd four and a half stars. Um, Just because the technical aspects of it and the procedural aspect of it also, um, I was just really into, I was really taken with, and just some of the, like, the framing, the, 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 the care with which the camera just captured every like set piece, if you want to call them that it was really out of this world. Uh, amazing, especially for a movie from 1931. Um, so I rated four and a half stars, gave it a thumbs up and it would, it would, it would make my, uh, great movies list. Cause I could see myself, uh, revisiting it. Um, again at some point and and really finding more even more in uh in it um so nice. yeah uh tiny how about you um thumbs up for sure uh i i gave it three and a half stars i'd probably bump that to four having sat with it a little bit and kind of talked it talked it over with you guys um i would put it on the greatest movies list uh but I think I I was thinking about what I would replace it with, and just mm. for fun. I know it's not on the list, so um, it made me think of Mystic River a lot. Oh, interesting! Um, it's another really good movie. If you've never seen that, check that out. There's some some uh, crossover threads between these two movies. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. But I don't. I don't. I would put it on the list, though. I don't, I wouldn't replace it. Nice. Okay. Okay. Cool. And uh, Ben, uh, would you mind rounding rounding us out for this uh, for this section with your uh, rating and great movies ranking? Uh, yeah, definitely thumbs up. I gave it five stars. Nice. Um, and yeah, hundred percent would go on my great movies list. I think there is a direct line from this movie to movies like you know, uh, French Connection and Silence of the Lambs mm-hmm. and Seven and 
The Departed and just a hundred other movies that are uh, in some cases just not as good as this. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, definitely. Nice. That's Sweet. great. Sweet. Um, so yeah, so that is that is our review of M, uh, 1931, Fritz Lang, uh, again, available on HBO Max and Criterion. Um, so now we are going to go on to Tiny's pick from uh, the previous episode. So Tiny, uh, you chose for us to watch and review uh, Steven Spielberg's 1985 uh, adaptation of Alice Walker's novel, novel the color purple uh tiny would you mind introducing us to the movie and uh letting us know uh why you picked it in your history with it if any absolutely uh the imdb synopsis says a black southern woman struggles to find her identity after suffering abuse from her father and others over four decades um so this was uh directed by steven spielberg uh, based on Alice Walker's uh, novel, like Matt said, written by Menno Mayus, I believe is how you pronounce that. Um, and uh, it came out in 1985. This was Whoopi Goldberg's first movie, I want to say. Oh, um, yeah. uh, I really just picked it because I've never seen it. Um, mm. That's that's usually kind of my main... <laughs> my main reason for picking almost everything in this project is just there's so much good stuff on the list. I've never seen that. I want to just pick stuff I haven't seen. Cause I need to force myself to watch these kind of movies. Um, yeah. cause I don't, uh, I don't find myself gravitating towards them. Um, and yeah, I've heard people talk about this movie before and I was out of the loop. So I really just wanted to see it. Um, I don't, uh, don't really have any other reason than that. Nice. Uh, Ben, uh, what's your history with the color purple and, uh, yeah. Yeah, the same. I had never seen it either. Um, mm-hmm. This was uh, one of my Spielberg blind spots. So, um, uh, yeah, I I didn't really know anything about it either. Uh, just that it was a well-regarded Spielberg uh, movie and a well-regarded Oscar movie. So, um, outside of that, yeah, no, no, no experience. Nice. Um. That's so so interesting because I have a limited experience with it. Um, I'd seen it before. Um, <laughs> I saw it. Um, when was that? Probably. I mean, within the last five years, I would say. Um, it was. I do remember, like way way back in the day, in the early days of the maybe not even the podcast, just the website. Um, obsessiveviewer.com by the way um, that <laughs> I remember like someone commenting and saying like have you ever reviewed The Color Purple because it's like the greatest movie ever and you should watch The Color Purple and I was like yeah I'll, I'll definitely keep that in mind um, and then <laughs> and then like six years later um, <laughs> I finally watched it so I watched it in January 2018 for the first time and, uh, and then uh, yeah I just that's so interesting um and then i i watched it again for this and uh and yeah we'll we'll talk about it uh tiny do you want to get us kicked off with your kind of thoughts your reaction to uh the color purple absolutely um right off the bat um one of the things that jumped out to me about the movie is um just whoopi goldberg's presence in the movie um i kind of grew up on whoopi goldberg because 
the sister act movies were like mm-hmm. a religion in my house. Like we watch those <laughs> movies all the time. Nice. Uh, those movies are still to this day. Fantastic. They hold up really well, really funny. Um, Whoopi, I just have a, I have a, uh, image of Whoopi Goldberg cemented in my mind as a comedic actress. Mm-hmm. Um, and she got her start in stand-up comedy. Um, and so that's, that's just how I think of her. And so to see her in such a dramatic role with basically no comedy, mm-hmm. um, was really just, sh- just shook me. Cause I was like, wow, I, uh, you know, and, and, you know, she, I think she won an Oscar for ghost, didn't she? Yeah. From what I understand, I think that that was a, uh, kind of like, okay, we messed up and didn't get you one for the color purple. Okay. So let's give you one for ghost. Gotcha. <laughs> At least that's I mean, she's, she's, yeah. Right. She's great in Ghost and there's obviously dramatic uh aspects of that role, but yeah. it's a lot of comedy too. Um and so that's just that's just how I think of her. And so to see her in this this context was so jarring for me. Um mm-hmm. and she was she was terrific. She was so good. Um and it's her first role. So that's that just makes it even more incredible. Yeah. Um so yeah, that's that's the first thing that jumps to mind. But um I I um I definitely liked the movie. I was um I was enthralled by the characters and uh you know I I, I so much sympathy and emotion throughout the movie because it's 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 just it's just hor- horrific what a lot of these characters go through. Um and uh I I was on board the whole time. You know, I was very curious to see what was gonna happen. Um I, I will say another interesting thing that jumped out at me is I thought that uh, race relations were going to play a much larger role in the movie. Yeah. Um, it, it obviously it came up and it was the source of some conflict in 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 the uh, the story, the movie. Um, but it really wasn't a central feature. I, I mean, uh, the, a lot of the conflict in the torment of the movie didn't have anything to do with the fact that. Um, it, it wasn't rooted in racism. It was just kind of evil. Um, yeah. Uh, Celie's father and her husband were just evil men who uh, held her down throughout her and whole, her whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really didn't have anything to do with the fact that they were black, at least maybe there's some subtext there that I didn't pick up on or something, but uh, yeah. I just thought that was gonna be a much bigger source of conflict. Yeah. In the movie, but it's, uh, it really wasn't. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll go last. Ben, what did you think of the color purple? Yeah, I, uh, I think I'm more in line with tiny. Uh, mm. I, I was, uh, impressed by how much I liked it in the moment. Nice. Um, I thought there was some really fantastic uh character dynamics um some really varied uh characters uh and yeah the performances for sure um uh Whoopi Goldberg and um uh Oprah as well mm-hmm. uh I don't know if I've ever seen an Oprah performance uh at least not of this caliber uh not of this yeah. scale uh, and also Danny Glover, I, I loved him as well. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen him in like villain mode and he was really great. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, uh, it, it definitely, uh, my initial thought, like while I was watching it at first was like, this 
why why is Spielberg directing this? Mm. And um, I still kind of we'll we'll get into that a little bit more because I have some thoughts. But you can definitely see some Spielberg touches, which uh, help uh, for sure in in some regards and not so much in other regards. Uh, but I think he's uh, this very much feels like a Spielberg kind of movie. Yeah, I agree. And in a weird way, I would say it's to the movie's detriment. Um, I don't dislike the color purple. Um, I, I'm, I just wasn't crazy about it either time I watched it. Um, I felt like both times I've seen this movie, I felt like, I feel like Spielberg is, at least I would say I felt like 1985 Spielberg was the wrong shepherd for this story. And what I mean by that is that he puts like the characters by design in the story go through the ringer and it is, it is brutal. It's harsh. It's, it's very, very upsetting, but I feel like Spielberg, at least in 1985, Spielberg's like hand was a little too much on the sentiment sentimentalism um that is so endearing in so many other Spielberg movies and I kind of feel like there's this there's this imbalance in the color purple with having like an ultra ultra dramatic and at times upsetting and um and and kind of uh like characters going through evil presences basically mixed with this kind of like i said over sentimentalizing it and i just feel like the the movie doesn't quite strike the right balance between those two tones um so i i kind of feel like that's that's my big hang up with the movie Having said that, the perf- the performances are just out of this world incredible. Um, like you guys have both said, um, I too have never seen Danny Glover be that um, <laughs> ruthless and evil and and everything. And uh, and Whoopi Goldberg is is just electric. Um, so so yeah, I, it's kind of a mixed bag for me. I didn't really get much out of it because I felt like it was just kind of teetering between two very, very disparate tones. And, uh, I feel like it just, it felt a little bit lacking. Um, and I can really find a road into it. Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, I left off, uh, when talking about the performances, I should also mention Margaret Avery. I should, oh, yes. uh, was really fantastic as well. I think she's mm-hmm. one of the better parts of the movie for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely, definitely, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I I think, uh, Matt, I can understand. I, I don't know if we, you know, hindsight, I don't know if Spielberg would have been the, the best choice to mm-hmm. uh, direct this either because uh, there's, there's no uh, direct... Uh, uh, reason that I could find for why he ultimately decided to direct this. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I don't think he really had a personal connection to the book, which mm-hmm. I guess we should establish. Have it, none of us have read the book, have we? Correct. I haven't. 
Nope. Okay. Yeah, me neither. Um, but from what I understand, uh, there's there's a moment that I really liked when I watched it, uh, the kind of lesbian subtext mm-hmm. between Whoopi Goldberg and Margaret Avery that uh, just kind of is not really uh, is really underplayed here, which yeah. I really appreciated. But from what I have read, that uh, storyline uh, is in play a lot more in the book. So Spielberg kind of very consciously tampered that down. And uh, I, I wonder if another director would have uh, played into it. And I feel like I also read that the book is a lot like darker in mm. terms of like um, uh, the Whoopi Goldberg characters, uh, Seeley's uh, like prospects and hopes for the oh, future. Yeah. I, I feel like it, it's a lot darker than what's in the movie. So mm-hmm. uh, Spielberg probably lightened that up as well. Yeah. And, and to his credit, he did a good job of um, kind of, giving kind of a hopeful sort of thing or, or keeping that character's spirits kind of not completely killed. Um, and so you do feel for the character, like when she thinks she's going to go with, with, uh, with Suge and then that doesn't come, come to pass or anything like there, there are moments that, that work. Um, but just overall, it just didn't, didn't really all compute with me. Um, Sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I um, I, I to, to me, I, I think one of the things that um, I don't know about jumped out, but kind of uh, didn't take me out of the movie, but like the the whole letter writing thing, mm-hmm. um, I just thought it was kind of obvious where that was going. Um, yeah. I wasn't at all surprised by that or anything. Um, we'll save it for spoilers, but mm-hmm. um. Yeah, I, I just feel like it was. It's amazing that the book was darker because mm-hmm. uh, there's there's very, very little to no rays of sunshine in this movie. Seeley yeah. um, is just in a constant state of torment or um, uh, just just not not irrelevancy. She's just not. Mm-hmm. She's just there. She's a a maid, an employee, uh, essentially, or a whipping post for this. Yeah. Uh, for the Mister character. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't even know his name for years. Yeah. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's just, that's just horrendous, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and all that was pretty, pretty potent, but I think it was sort of lessened by that um, tone that Matt was talking about. Like it's, it just, there's, there's an odd tone to the movie where I feel like all this darkness wasn't as dark as it should have been, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, I and I don't know if it's just because the the Mister character, uh, Danny Glover's character, is kind of in love with another woman, and maybe that mm-hmm. shines through a little bit. Or um, I, I'm I'm not I can't quite put my finger on it, but um, th- there was some kind of goofy tonal parts to yeah. the movie. I think. Yeah. 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 There's that that weird comic scene where he's like trying to make Suge breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that feels like such a Spielbergian, not mm-hmm. trope, but kind of a Spielbergian touch. But given the context of the movie, it just doesn't it just doesn't work for me. And 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 like you said, the tonal shift of it just doesn't really work for me. 
Um, yeah. 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 There was something else I was going to say kind of along those same lines, but I'm, I'm blanking on it, but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It just, it just didn't, didn't quite work for me. Um, oh, oh, um, it kind of, kind of switching gears a little bit, but I thought it was interesting that, uh, Quincy Jones did the music for this movie. Um, and it was so weird to me because there are notes in the soundtrack that feel, that absolutely feel like precursors to John Williams, uh, his Jurassic Park score. Um, Mm. it, it was so weird to me. Like I could hear that and I was like, um, I I was just thinking like, oh, this is interesting. And and I started thinking like, oh, you know, Spielberg and John Williams, like their, their collaborations are legendary. And then I was like, wait, hang on. No, he didn't do the music for this. Like what? Like it was just, it was really interesting. I don't know. I think there's a little bit of that in the trailer clip that I'm going to play. Um, but when we go to spoilers, but I just thought that was interesting. What did you guys think of the music of it? Incidentally, the music did not jump out to me, mm-hmm. um, which which I feel bad because I think this was a like a pet project of Quincy Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, he, yeah, I think he was one of the reasons why he why Spielberg was brought on. Oh yeah, right. I think Quincy Jones basically talked him into it. If if I read the trivia right, mm-hmm. um, he was a shepherd for the project, if you will, to right. kind of use your guys' terms. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the music just didn't jump out to me for whatever reason. I'm not mm. sure why. Uh, I can't really comment on it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it didn't really to me either. I'm looking at the uh, the credits and there are 12 people listed as the for the score, oh, uh, wow. at least for the Oscars. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause I remember like when the credits were rolling in the beginning and there was, there was like half the screen was uh, people that had composed the score. <laughs> Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like maybe part of that, um, the part of that kind of, uh, not necessarily in ambiguity with the soundtrack or anything, but kind of, kind of the not standing out aspect of it is also, I think because this is like, you can kind of point to the color purple as being like the classic, like Oscar bait kind of movie. So, mm-hmm the score is kind of that overly sentimental kind of tones that really play well in, uh, in a, uh, like an Oscar clip kind of, kind of setting. Um, so I kind of feel like that maybe is a factor in, in the lack of memorableness for, uh, for the soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you guys want to go into spoilers for the color purple or do you guys have anything else that we want to say in non spoilers? Yeah, let's go into spoilers. Okay, nice. Yeah. Uh, so as we did with M, I'm going to play a clip from the trailer. Um, if you want to skip the spoiler section and go to our review of Magnolia, check the show notes for timestamps. But I will say that if you don't do that and you do listen to the trailer, prepare yourselves for... <laughs> Literally the most boring trailer I've ever seen. (laughs) So here we go. The trailer for The Color Purple. And when we come back, we will be spoiling the movie. The Color Purple. An American story for the whole world. It's about life. It's about love. It's about us. You will always remember, mister. 
Shug. Old Mister. Nettie. Harpo. Squeak. Sophia. And Seely. You will never forget the color purple. <laughs> I can't. I can't. It's That's just, horrible. I know. Wow. It's so like. I, and what's funny is I had to listen to that several times to get the to get the cues right and everything for the clip and just like that is just so dull and it says nothing. Um, well, and it's yeah. it's like it sounds like a fucking Disney trailer. Like, it does. Is that a is that a some fun peppy movie? Like, what are yeah. you talking? This is a dark ass, <laughs> right? Horrible movie. Well, horrible yeah. things happen in this right. movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. My first note is he says it's a story for the whole world. I don't know about that. Yeah. And more specifically, <laughs> uh, America and the American South. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And uh, wow. And some of that music is, I believe, from the score of the movie. And like it, like, again, that kind of like whimsical sort of element to it just feels like it is so, so in contrast to the actual tone of the story that's being presented that it just kind of takes me out of it. And the kind of beginning notes of of the trailer is what I was getting at with it sounding kind of like a precursor to Jurassic Park. Um, I'm going to play just the beginning of it if you guys can hear it. So hang on one second. The color purple. An American like story right there the when it went like. Doo, doo, doo. So I don't know. Maybe that was just me projecting or thinking about it uh, too much. Mm. But it yeah. doesn't jump out to me. But you may be on something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't know. Um, so anyway, spoilers on for the color purple. Uh, what did you guys think in spoilers? Um, I I don't know if this is a spoiler moment, but I I really loved the storyline. I think it was about midway through with uh, Oprah Winfrey's character and just what she goes through. That was just devastating. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah then and the way that it plays out and uh the culmination of that scene was just really just devastating and really dark yeah 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 and that's that's one of the few scenes of race relations in the movie you know mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and and the uh outcome and detriment of that you know i i agree it was heartbreaking um cuz i loved her character um mm-hmm. uh gosh what was her name um uh sophia Sophia, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, Sophia was such a fun surge to the movie because she's mm-hmm. such a contrast to Seely, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's a bit of a role model for Seely in a way. Um, so I kind of, I kind of love that. Um, mm-hmm. And then just to have her, like Ben was saying, just to have that completely uh, ripped away from her, and yeah. and uh, that that was just earth shattering. And yeah, I agree. It was one of the more somber aspects of the movie. Um, but it was it was also incredible. So mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, did oh, sorry. sorry did did you guys think uh, at the end of that scene when the white woman is trying to drive away and the black guys are trying to help her? 
did you guys also think that uh, she would or there would come back to it and there would be like a lynch mob coming after those guys? I was kind of wondering that, yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I was kind of preparing for something like that to happen, but it didn't. That's interesting. I didn't I didn't think that that would be the case. I think that if, frankly, if the movie was, uh, for me, better, but also I kind of feel like if the movie was, uh, if the movie wasn't done in this kind of Oscar bait, sentimental Oscar bait sort of, sort of uh, hand, I think that that absolutely would have been something that would have fit and, and been an interesting avenue of just horror even and uh and and drama but with it being spielberg 1980 spielberg i should say um i i don't i wouldn't have expected him to go that far with it um which if i'm not mistaken this was i think i read that this was his first like non-blockbuster movie so i think maybe that's part of my disassociation with it is that it just kind of feels like he's a little bit out of his element in it um, or maybe that's just me yeah. searching for a reason to not like a Spielberg movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I did have the same thought, Ben. Uh, I was thinking it was kind of a, you know, um, to kill a mockingbird, mm. uh, right. Shift a robe type situation where something gets completely blown out of proportion or just flat out lies get told and it ends mm-hmm. up in a, a lynch mob situation. Um, I, I did have that thought, yeah. 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 Hmm. Um, what else in spoil? Like, honestly, I don't have much to say in spoilers for this movie because <laughs> I feel like I'm just beating a dead horse with my criticisms of it. But yeah, what what else do we got? Yeah. Well, for me, the again the the letter writing, you know, mm-hmm. I, I was like, you know, the 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 sister was writing her the whole time. Like that's that was obvious, and yeah. the uh, you know Albert was. Uh, keeping them hidden from her. Like I thought that was like, I, I don't know if maybe that's just something that's been in other movies and they stole it from this or mm. I just, I, I, I don't know, but I'm typically not good at, you know, figuring out the twist or um, finding out stuff like that. But from the get go, I was like, yeah, she's definitely, you know, he's running out to the mail every time that the mailman comes by. It's yeah. obvious that he's, you know, um, so that was, wasn't particularly shocking. I did like that she basically savored all those letters and it feels like she stretched out reading them over months and months and months. And that mm-hmm. was, um, kind of satisfying in a way I'll say that. Yeah. Um, and, and also to kind of talk about the, 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 the ending Danny Ma, the movie, um, the, the reunion scene was just kind of, um, I, I feel like they it was a little over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, just the whole, the way they scream each other's names was a little just a tad, a tad cringy to me. Um, I mean, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, that that's a pretty unique situation. (laughs) Um, so it's hard to say how a person would, should react in that moment, but it just did not feel genuine to me. It felt, uh, it just felt a little cringy to me. So. Sure. Yeah. I, I will admit like I, uh, I kind of bought into the emotions of that, moment at the end the the reunion um and i think that's mostly due to whoopi goldberg's performance in that moment Mm -hmm. um but yeah it it is you know it is a little bit 
too much of a movie movie style moment or a movie moment. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I guess they were probably beholden to the source material, but you know, yeah. I kind of feel like there wasn't much resolved or wasn't resolved to my liking the tension between Mr. And uh, Celia in particular, like, and I, I know that Suge prevents her from cutting him when he, sh- when she's shaving him, but he, he knows that she tried to cut him. Right. Do you uh, probably? Yeah. I, I don't know that it's obvious, but mm-hmm. I think you could go either way with it. Cause it, you, know, you can make the argument that he's such a, he doesn't ever, ever give her an ounce of credit for anything. Yeah. So I, I don't even know that he could think that she would even realize that she mm-hmm. could kill him because he just thinks she's a moron, you know? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I guess you could make an argument either way. Yeah. Okay. Cause I kind of feel like that, that scene is like a, it's like a, it's a pivotal moment. It is a huge moment for her. And I kind of feel like it's just tossed aside a little bit. It's not, I don't feel like it's really given the gravitas that it should have had in the fallout that it should have had. Like sort of not necessarily immediately after that, but soon after that we get the, the, uh, the dinner scene, which is pretty spectacular and, and interesting, but it, it also just doesn't, it feels so disconnected from, like that scene, which feels like it should have been a response to that scene or it should have had some kind of bearing on the plot more than it than it did. And it, that's something that I just kind of maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention, but it just didn't feel like it connected or or uh, uh, didn't feel like it was flowing as as naturally as I would have liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, speaking of that dinner scene, I forget if it's in that scene or if it's uh, in a different moment, but I love the character detail of um, uh, the Danny Glover character's father yeah. and how he's uh, he's basically just uh, trying to live up to his father's you know expectations. I think yeah. uh, the movie doesn't totally need that extra detail, but I love that it's in there. Yeah, that's a fair point, and I I agree that is that does give some good texture to the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it it demonstrates the cycle of abuse. Yeah, you know? yeah, um, yeah, which stops with Harpo, I guess, is mm-hmm. his oldest son. Um, was that his name? Did I make that up? No, it was Harpo. No, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, and that's yeah. it's nice that it stops with him, I guess, and that's that's a again that's one of the interesting parts of the movie that kind of jumps out is that it you know he's not he doesn't abuse his wife and he marries an actual uh, woman with who who isn't just a uh, placeholder really um yeah so yeah the the dinner we didn't really talk about the dinner scene but it's Mm. i mean it's pretty uh pretty powerful um yeah yeah one of the best parts of the movie Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I agree. And it's funny when uh when you asked if if you got the name Harpo right and when uh I told you that the name Sophia uh the only reason I really remember them is cuz of that freaking trailer. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um uh, but yeah. Also Oprah backwards. Oh, Oh. Oh, yeah, it is. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um but yeah, uh 
Yeah, I think talking it out a little bit more. I, I've I've softened a little bit on the movie, but it I I still don't. I think it's honestly I think it's a lesser Spielberg movie um, for me overall. Um, yeah. Anything else we want to talk about in spoilers, or should we go to ratings? Or uh, I defer to your guys' judgment. Um, I'm just the last thing. It's not even about the movie necessarily. I'm I'm I think I'm going to read the book. Oh, nice. Um, because I, I could see this being a, you know, a, a shining example of the book being better than the movie. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I I am curious to read that as well. Uh, maybe the audio book. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'll pick it up. I have a couple of credits um, on Audible. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's also worth noting this was nominated for I think eleven Oscars, and mm-hmm. uh, it got shut out, which is kind of surprising, sort of. Right. Um. Yep. But yeah, tied tied the record for most nominations without a win. Oh wow! I think. Mm-hmm. Dang. I yeah, and I, trivia. I don't know if that record still stands or not, mm. but yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. Hmm. Yeah, I'm ready for ratings if you guys are. Yeah, sure. uh, I am too. So we'll do Tiny last. Ben, do you want to get us kicked off with your rating? Uh, thumbs up, a thumbs down. And would it be on your great movies list? Yeah, um, I would say thumbs up. Uh, I rated it four stars. Um, probably would not be on my great movies list. Um, and my initial thought was to just replace it with a different Spielberg movie. Mm. But, uh, I think what I would actually replace it with is, uh, another movie that also came out in 1985 directed, uh, not by Jean-Luc Goddard, but by Agnes Varda, uh, (laughs) called Vagabond, uh, which kind of shares some similarities. It's about a, a beaten down woman who... Uh, faces uh, a lot of uh, crisis and throughout her life and uh, just one of Agnes Varda's best movies. So, yeah. Very nice. Cool. Awesome. Um, For me, I rated this... Uh, ben, did you say you gave it a thumbs down? No, thumbs up. Oh, thumbs up. Okay. Uh, I'm just making my notes here. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I rated it. So it's interesting because in 2018, when I first saw it, I rated it three and a half stars. And when I saw it this time, I honestly dropped that down to 2.5, um, Mm. which sounds harsh and severe and maybe it is, but also it's middle. It's like, it's literally the middle point of the five star scale. Um, I just didn't get the emotional connection that uh, that the movie was tr- very much trying me trying to give me um but uh yeah so it, i gave it uh 2.5 stars i would give it a thumbs down unfortunately and uh, i would not put it on my great movies list however um what i would put in its place is uh i went with this because it's another 1985 movie um, not directed by uh Agnes Varda, but I do have a poster on my wall that I'm staring at right now. Uh, Robert Zemeckis's Back to the Future. Um, <laughs> which I'm surprised isn't on the list, so I'm kind of curious to go back and see what Ebert's review of it was. But that's what I would replace uh, the color purple with. Um, yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Uh, cool. Good choice. Thank you. 
Uh, Tiny, where do you land on the color purple? Yeah, I would. I'm. I'm going to stick with a thumbs up. Um, nice. I did enjoy the movie, so I, I gave it a three and a half stars. Um, thumbs up. But um, I don't think I'd put it on my great movies list. Um, I would replace it with a movie that unfortunately uh, Roger Ebert uh, didn't get to see. Mm. Uh, Twelve Years a Slave from 2013. Oh yeah. I, I will. Yeah, I was trying to think of a movie. Um that was more female centric um, and also played on the race thing, the Southern thing. This was kind of the best I could do. I think the, um, uh, uh, the character of, um, um, Oh my gosh, it's escaping me. Um, Lupita Nyong'o's character. Thank you. Yes. Mm. Lupita Nyong'o's character (laughs) um, fills some of those themes pretty well. Um, So I think that's a fair, uh, a fair substitution uh, as, as a movie. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. nice. Cool. Uh, I Sorry, I forgot mm. to mention this earlier, but uh, I kind of wish that uh, we could have paired this movie with um, uh, Do the Right Thing because oh, I think yeah. there's interesting parallels. Uh, some handled good, uh, mm-hmm. successfully and not, some not so much. But yeah, I just huh. had that thought while I was watching it. Yeah, that would have been interesting. Totally. That would have been really interesting if we had done um, Do the Right Thing, The Color Purple, and M all in one go. Um, just because yeah. Do the Right Thing has kind of the mob kind of thing. Um, totally, yeah. That's, yeah, that's that would, interesting. That would have been interesting. Um, okay, well, that is our review and our ratings for The Color Purple. Um, now, shall we kind of move on to the third and last uh, movie of the evening? Yes, sir. All right. Um, So this is my pick. It is 1999's Magnolia. Um, The premise, according to IMDb, is an epic mosaic of interrelated characters in search of love, forgiveness, and meaning in the San Fernando Valley. Written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, starring Tom Cruise, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Julianne Moore, Philip Baker Hall, and William H. Macy. It was released, uh, wide release, January 7th, 2000. And uh, it is on the Ebert's Great Movies list. Um, so I'll get us kicked off with my history with the movie and uh, why I picked it. Um, the why of why I picked it is pretty simple. Um, I had recently bought it on Vudu because <laughs> um, uh, I hadn't seen it in a long time. And I had some Fandango credits uh, live on on on, uh, on Vudu or on, yeah, on Vudu. Uh, so um, I picked that. And, uh, I picked it for that reason. And, uh, my history with it is that I have this vivid memory of, I think it was like 2004. It must've been like 2004, 2005. I had rented it on DVD from family video. And I remember like the movie has such a, like the interconnectedness of it is so, um, prevalent throughout the movie like it opens with like how different things connect and everything um that when i saw it when i was in high school like i remember like driving to family video to return it and then like coming back and like 
there were like two cars that were like flying out of the out of like uh, an apartment complex that I was passing and like they cut me off and like they ran a red light. It was like they were chasing each other or they were fleeing to a certain place. I don't know what the deal was, but I was like, I wonder what I, w- I wonder what um oh, like what series of events led me to be in this moment <laughs> and intersect with them. Um, so. So that was uh, Teenage Matt's kind of assessment of Magnolia. <laughs> uh, yeah, what is your guys' what what is your guys' history with Magnolia? And uh, and yeah, what, uh, uh, Tiny, do we want to get kicked off with you? Sure. Yeah, um, I'd seen this movie once before. I remember it pretty pretty well. Um, P.T. Anderson is one of my top five favorite movies uh, filmmakers. Mm-hmm. I just. I adore him. I think he's so unique. Uh, no one else makes movies like him. I, 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 I love him as a filmmaker, as a writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's incredible. Um, and and I, I remember thinking the bulk of the movie was really cool um, and, and creative and everything, and I liked it, but the ending took me out of it. And I, I when I saw mm-hmm. it like, when I was a teenager, I was just like, I don't think I like the movie because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of my history with it. Um, but I'm really glad you picked it cause I had a different reaction this time and, uh, nice. uh and, and ended up really liking the movie. So, um, yeah, PT P. Anderson's always, I, I'm, I'm always thrilled to talk about PT Anderson. Sweet. Uh, Ben, what's your history with Magnolia and, uh, how did it fare this time? Um, yeah, this is, uh, one of the two movies. Two uh, PTA movies that I had never seen. Oh, wow. Uh, I had never seen this and Inherent Vice mm. uh, before you picked it. Um, and I think, uh, yes, just like you, Tiny, PTA is like one of my probably top five favorite filmmakers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think he's brilliant. I think he makes just these incredible just different varied movies that are just so that just stick with you for so long. Um, and I think part of the reason why I had never watched this is that I knew it was three hours. So, yeah. um, uh, but yeah, that, that's, that's my history with it. Nice. I honestly, that's one of the reasons why I hadn't rewatched it since, uh, that time in like 2004, 2005, because it is three hours long. Um, but it's so interesting to me because it is a very quick paced three hours. Um, it's funny because, um, I, I, I was a little bit more engaged with the movie this time around. I liked it when I saw it as a, as a teenager, but now I'm in my thirties and like my mid thirties at that, uh, mid to late thirties. Um, but (laughs) I'm on the wrong side of my mid thirties and, (laughs) It um it kind of hits different as Gen Z says. But uh but no, it's really interesting just the the human drama um of the characters as they're presented, even when they are as like like the the kind of torture of the characters to an extent, but also the hapless or helplessness of some of them just comes through in like these amazing ways when it's something as small although not as not small by any stretch but like as as on the surface somewhat 
uh, insignificant as like a kid having to go to the bathroom um, or it's something as big as a grown man who has spent his entire life uh, escaping like his childhood pain and like the pain of his family confronting his you know dying father like these massive like swaths of character drama are interconnected in so many unique and interesting ways in a way that feels so effortless um which it's anything but effortless like the work that's put into the script and to the film is is astonishing um and to your guys' point about PTA being one of the like one of your guys' favorite filmmakers, like he's up there with me too. Um, I will I will say in a in a very very facetious chiding way that like yeah no one no one makes movies like PTA, um, especially since you know Kubrick died in 1999 um, because <laughs> PTA clearly riffs on Kubrick so much in all of his movies. Um, even here mm. he plays, uh, he uses, he, for Tom Cruise's, uh, big, um, big, like, moment on stage, he plays, uh, the music from 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, 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 but I do love it. It's, it's not, like, there's no part of me that feels like PTA rips off of anyone, really, because he is a wholly unique filmmaker. He has his very clear influences but he very clearly tells the stories that he wants to tell in very vivid and memorable ways and i just i i really really liked this and it it just again it's an it's a movie where it it pains me that like we lost philip seymour hoffman because he was astounding in it like all the performances are incredible um yes yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah yeah, I think uh, PTA does two things that I think really set him apart, uh, aside from, you know, the directing and the writing. But he is so great at getting these incredible performances out of his actors. Like, yeah. everyone here, Tom Cruise, this might be like his best performance. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll have to check the yeah. tape, but... <laughs> uh yeah here and then adam sandler and punch drunk love yeah um uh philip seymour hoffman and joaquin phoenix and the mm-hmm. master daniel day lewis and there will be blood i mean mark Wahlberg and boogie nights mm-hmm. just yep. almost every movie you can just point to someone yeah. just giving their career best work yeah um and uh i i'd be remiss if i didn't mention alana heim and cooper hoffman and yeah. licorice pizza um, but also I think he is like one of our best filmmakers, at least working today, if not all time. And just yeah. the ways that he uses music, I think he's as good as like, uh, Quentin Tarantino and mm-hmm. Scorsese and in terms of the music that they use and their choices and when they choose to use them, it's incredible. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's fully, all of that is fully on display in this. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 100%. It's um it it this is so hacky to say, but it it was a very quick 3 hours. Like it's a world that you just want to live in as as tormented as a lot of the characters are, if not all of them. Um 
it's just it is it is laid out so so pristinely that it just it it really it's really a work of art um yeah i i really loved it definitely um i i feel like uh i feel like pta is a i i've, I've described him as uh channeling mm-hmm. uh uh stanley kubrick that's how mm-hmm. I, that's how i describe him i i feel like really one of the only similarities is really their visual style mm-hmm. um specifically the wide shot um mm-hmm. i i think i think pta took up that mantle but i, I feel like as far as character development um mm-hmm. story development writing he's just night and day with stanley kubrick i think he's way different um it's it's an obvious comparison to make because mm-hmm. they they both operated in a visual medium but yeah. and and they're so similar visually but uh i, I think really for me the the comparison stops there mm-hmm. with the visuals um uh and it's funny ben you mentioned music i think i remember when i watched this for the first time as a teenager um one thing that took me out of the movie that i really didn't like was the music and it's not because the music was bad it's the way it was used i feel and and it still bothers me i still don't like it it doesn't take me out of the movie but i took like a whole half star off of my <laughs> review for my my rating for it is it it, it crescendos and it it has this build up to it and it ends up not building up to a climax it mm. just kind of stops sometimes and it's just like it it just doesn't it doesn't feel right to me and i don't like and it does i think they do that at least twice in the movie if not three times hmm. and and it just bothers me i still don't care for it. it it did not bother me as much this watch through um but i i still think it's an odd choice um and it's so long it's 3 hours that i can understand yeah kind of um maybe ebbs and flows or kind of a roller coaster nature to the the music but it i i just it just felt like a bit of a um a miscue to me the way they kind of crescendo the music a couple times i i wasn't crazy about it hmm. that's interesting to to kind of clarify not necessarily clarify my point but uh to your point about the comparison to kubrick and everything I do definitely agree with you. I and I would amend my uh snarky comment to say that <laughs> I feel like PTA is a filmmaker who while he does tend to occasionally if not emulate then just pay light homage to Kubrick's visual style and palette and everything. Um while doing that, he is also someone who has proven himself time and time again to be worthy of using that homage and doing that kind of thing um, because he is out of this world with his storytelling and everything. That's well said. Yeah, I like Thank that. Um, yeah, and I, uh, I'll i say to roll back my comment, without Stanley mm-hmm. Cooper, we don't have PTA. Right. Like that's full stop you know mm-hmm. that's a obvious statement so and yeah. a lot of other filmmakers yeah a lot of others oh, yeah. too yeah absolutely yeah 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 i uh i didn't i never knew that there was a, a comparison between those two but uh for me what i love about pta's uh directing style is his use of long takes mm-hmm. in uh, pretty yeah. much every movie and there's several of them in this and they're all just really captivating and they're not even necessarily really showy long takes, but they're just 
they really just help you to stay in the moment. And it's, it's really incredible the way that he uses it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And just like that, not, I, I won't say it's a sense of community by any stretch, but just, it's so interesting how we can have such a, a unique blend of characters and unique blend of scenarios that they're all encountering. Yet, PTA does such an incredible job of blending it all together into this just not even melting pot really, but just in this like putting it all together in this complete panoramic view of this like piece of like a city that has, has these inhabitants that are all going through very different things and differing levels of existential crises and everything. Um, and it just, it fits together so well. It's, it's really remarkable. Yeah. I think, uh, one of the risks you run with these kind of like anthology style movies is, uh, being a little too cutesy with how each of the stories connects with each other. Yeah. Like, I think the worst example is like crash. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's other ones, but, uh, yeah, I, I was really curious going into this, just how each of these stories would connect. Uh, and, and I love the theme of all of them, uh, and how he does it. Mm -hmm. Um, you don't really realize it at first, but once you do, it's, it's really masterful writing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Um, one, one thing that, uh, um, stuck out to me more with this viewing is the, uh, the kind of prologue at the beginning of the movie, mm -hmm. Yeah, where they're they're talking about the the hanging and then the the guy who tries to commit suicide and gets killed on the way down yeah. his fall and yeah by uh, his own parents right I think there's a third one too I can't remember it's escaping mm -hmm. me at the moment um, but that's that's just it was so clever because it really sets the tone for the mm -hmm. movie um, because some remarkable things. Uh, dare I say, unbelievable things happen in the movie. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and this, that, that prologue really helps set that tone and alleviate the uh, unbelievability of the other yeah. things that happen in the movie. And I, that really elevated the movie for me on this watch through because yeah. some of the stuff that happens in the movie, my, my previous opinion of it, was a little lessened because of some of the disbelievability of some of the things that happened in the movie later on, which we'll talk about in spoilers. But, um, that, that, that prologue really mitigates a lot of that for me. And I was so, I had completely forgotten about it. Um, uh, mm -hmm. for, I think the last time I watched this was like almost 20 years ago. Um, so it, that, uh, I was just really pleased with that because I immediately, I was, I was operating with that, thought and that opinion in my head and right off the bat a lot of that was alleviated because of that prologue and i was just so happy to see it in the movie and i thought it worked so well uh mm -hmm. in, in the context of the whole movie it was it was really great so yeah it's a really great primer for for the experience that we have in the movie <laughs> um mm -hmm. yeah yeah and then right after that prologue he just like goes uh, just hits the ground running uh he i feel like there's like a thousand cuts in the first like 10 mm -hmm. minutes 
And it's it's really hard with uh, a movie like this to, you know, almost forget who someone is or or where they fit in or what they're doing or yeah. what the stakes of their storyline is. But uh, I was I I was I had kept track of everything really easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, and there are some pivotal moments that we'll talk about in spoilers. But the moments of characters, the the moments in which characters reach like their emotional breaking points are it are some of the like the most interesting and kind of wonderful examples of acting I've seen in almost anything I've really seen. <laughs> like like um like you said, Ben, I think the like the performances that PTA gets out of his actors is historically speaking incredible and it's no different here it's it's just astonishing um yeah totally yeah for sure um do you guys want to move to spoilers so we can kind of get because i actually wanted to ask get your opinion on a couple things yeah we can definitely hop on over to spoilers um uh do we want to go do that now i'm good if you guys are good yeah sure all right, cool. Well, we are going to go into spoilers for Magnolia. Of course, check the show notes for timestamps, all of that good stuff. I'm going to play a clip from the trailer here. When we come back, we're going to be spoiling Magnolia. I have to take everything and play it as it lays. Sometimes people need a little help. Sometimes people need to be forgiven. And that is a very tricky thing on my part, making that call. But you can forgive someone, well, that's the tough part. What can we forgive? Was that unclear? Kind of. God. All right, so spoilers on for Magnolia. Um, did you guys catch my reference when I said we're going to hop on over to spoilers? Cause nope. No. Wow. Frogs hopping. Get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So spoilers on, we don't need to talk about that yet, but I want to <laughs> kind of touch on Tom Cruise's character. Like I forgot how just, over the top like crazy that character is and it's almost to the point of being like an absolute caricature i mean like one of his first scenes he like he comes on stage and he's just like he yells respect the cock (laughs) like it's wild it's weird and then you get that interview um the interview that starts to starts to crack his, his exterior um, all leading up to his big moment with his father that I read was, was uh, basically improvised by him that he used his own father's death uh, to, to, you know, kind of channel his feelings for the character and even Philip Seymour Hoffman tearing up uh, behind him was unscripted. Like he, like he just was reacting to Tom Cruise. Um, just absolutely powerful, powerful stuff. Um, 
Yeah. So what did what did you guys think? <laughs> That's yeah, fascinating. Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tom Cruise is so memorable in this movie. Um, and I, I like your use of um, the phrase "over the top" because mm-hmm. typically when we're talking about over the top, the actor is going too far. Yeah. Um, but the character is over the top, not his performance. I mm-hmm. think that's an important distinction to make because he's he is pitch perfect in mm-hmm. this. I think I think maybe he kind of toes the line a little bit in that in that super emotional part where he's actually talking to his father. Yeah. Maybe he gets a little a little goofy in that, but I I, I would certainly wouldn't take anything away from him. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I just I love how ridiculously intense he, he is. There's a part where he's getting ready to sit down for the interview and he's like in his underwear. And mm-hmm. I mean and and just yeah, respect the cock. Like it's yeah. just that's just so bananas. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we we expect a certain level of intensity from Tom Cruise. That's what yeah. he does. Uh, he does it well. Sometimes he's a bit much, but mm-hmm. um, I, I like Ben said. I think this is probably his best performance. Um, yeah, and he he's just he's remarkable in it. I, I I love him in this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I think one of the only things that I had known about this uh, be going into it was that it was a really great Tom Cruise performance. And nice. yeah, it, it 100% lived up to that. I think when he first takes the stage and you get a sense of his character, uh, I was fully preparing for him to just like, for there to be an offstage moment where he's, revealed as just to be kind of like a loser and just like the exact opposite of his onstage performance but it's just so much more nuanced and and actually more simple than that you know Mm -hmm. it's it's there isn't really a whole lot that uh that he goes through throughout this you know he's he's on stage and then he's in the interview for most of it and then he's back on stage and then he's with his father that's it you know um, but just the, the changes that he goes through throughout those few scenes are just really just, uh, incredible. And it's all played up so well by Tom Cruise. I think this, uh, I don't know if it's canonically his best, but it might be my favorite performance of his. Mine yeah. too. And it's wild because I mean, Tom Cruise nowadays, like the last like couple of decades, <laughs> He's just Tom Cruise action star, Tom Cruise going to, you know, climb the Burj Khalifa, Tom Cruise like crazy action star thing. So to see him give like to go back in his career and see him give like an incredibly emotional performance that is just like it is so like you said, Ben, very nuanced and the character is he has like this this straightforward arc and this straightforward characterization but in like i agree that it is pretty simple but there is such nuance and complexity to it like what you can extrapolate from it that he like hates his father for leaving his mother and he had to take care of his mother and all of this stuff and like how that led indirectly or directly to how he is as a human being now as a functioning adult spouting this just disgusting like pickup artist bullshit stuff it is it is such an incredibly interesting panoramic view of that one character in a movie that has 
this panoramic view of multiple interconnected characters and in, in different varying degrees. And I just, I find, I, I found him to be without question, the most captivating character for me and the most captivating performance um, by, by a long stretch in a movie that's filled with incredible performances from basically the entire cast. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think one of my favorites though is, uh, John C. Riley. Yeah. Um, I, I just love him in this movie mm-hmm. and, and what I wanted to ask you guys mm-hmm. on this watch through, um, I, you know, he's, he's a police officer and he's supposed to be a perceptive person and he's supposed to pick up on things. And mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty clear that he's either, do you guys think he was, he understood that, uh, Melora Walters, mm-hmm. her character was strung out. Um, but he just was willing to overlook it or was he so desperate for companionship and love that he, was blind to the fact that she was high and like pretty obviously high. Yeah. <laughs> um, like I, I'm curious what it was. I, you know, he, they, they, he's described as being a helper, you know, he mm-hmm. helps out, uh, uh, William H. Macy's character in the end. And, uh, which is sort sort of touching. Um, I, I just, I'm curious what you guys thought and I, I'm not sure which side of that I fall on or if you guys had a completely different interpretation of that. I, I definitely think it's, it's the latter that he was, so desperate for companionship that he like his other otherwise perceptive um kind of kind of views and everything like his perception was compromised because he was so in need of that human connection and i think that that blinded him to it cuz like we we know that kind of well i mean i guess to an extent that kind of perception uh like him being a perceptive person with that first scene with him when he's um, in the apartment with the woman and he finds the dead bodies or whatever they were. Um, that's something that kind of showcases his, you know, his perceptive abilities and everything. And then to see, like you said, tiny, she was very clearly strung out. Like he's very much willing throughout the movie to give her these concessions and, to give her the benefit of the doubt and everything. And I think it's because he not even necessarily that he has a connection with her or feels a connection with her, but the fact that he feels like there could be a strong connection or a strong enough connection to where he could finally get what he's wanted out of life. Um, I think that that, that shows kind of a depth to the character that I think John C. Riley embodies just wonderfully in the movie. Yeah, um, I I don't think there's a wrong read of that, no. uh, the, his character, uh, that whole scene. Um, okay. But yeah, I, I think I lean more towards the latter. I think it's also kind of established that he's not very good at his job. So <laughs> yeah. I think that part of yeah. that kind of factors into part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, while we're speaking of that, uh, that storyline, I was going to ask you guys... Uh, did you guys have a favorite storyline uh, or favorite set of characters? Cause I think initially I was, I was kind of left uh, wondering how the John C. Riley storyline fits into all of it. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it definitely comes together in the end, but I, I was kind of curious to get your guys' thoughts. You know, I, 
I like my initial my gut reaction is to say either Tom Cruise or uh, John C. Riley's characters. They're the standouts for me. But also, we haven't talked about him, but Philip Baker Hall, that mm-hmm. that whole arc was was absolutely astounding to me and he was he was unbelievably good um i think he just recently passed away within the last Mm -hmm. year or two like last year yeah yeah and um and i mean just what a loss he was he was fantastic but um yeah another pta collaborator yeah yeah yep and there's that moment where um, he's talking about his daughter to his wife when, when he reveals that he's, uh, that he's been, that he has cheated on her and everything. And he, th- he says that he thinks that their daughter, uh, or that it's Claudia, right? Yeah. Um, that, Claudia, yeah. yeah, that he thinks that she thinks that he molested her or did something to her. And she asks outright, like, well, did you? And then his response is just like, I, I honestly don't know. Like, I'm just like, like that is, that is such an incredible, horrific and like storytelling wise, incredible like moment because it's just, it's, it's so interesting. This character is going through like facing his mortality and facing the end of his life through a cancer diagnosis And he's trying to make amends and he's not even sure if what he is making amends for is something that happened or what he like where he stands with people exactly. And I just found that to be kind of really fascinating in terms of like the storytelling of like the humanity of the movie or or the kind of fractured humanity or fragile humanity of, uh, of the characters in the, in the entirety of the movie. I just thought that that was a really interesting element to it. Definitely. Yeah. It's, it's one of the more um, interesting arcs because I think there's the, there's kind of a um, uh, implication of uh, sympathy or empathy early mm-hmm. on with his character. Cause he's, yeah got cancer he's dying and he's he's trying to kind of um put a button on his career or something i'm not really mm-hmm. sure and he, he breaks down during the show but then he goes home and we get these confessions where he cheated on his wife and uh the molestation thing and mm-hmm. uh it's it i agree it's such an interesting direction that he can't really answer whether or not he did he doesn't know yeah it's almost like he has trauma from it himself and he's repressed it himself mm-hmm um, you know, that, that, that's his reaction to that is that he chose to kind of repress it. That's, that's really interesting. Um, and they don't, you know, the movie doesn't, uh, really go into it any, any further or no. necessarily conclude that part. Um, and, and that's, I kind of love that. Like I, mm-hmm. I kind of, I, I'm, I'm sure this wasn't intentional, but it kind of speaks to the, idea that a lot of sexual abuse is not talked about it's not discussed mm-hmm. um especially at this time you know a pre me too movement mm-hmm. um you know we didn't we don't we didn't talk about it people didn't talk about mm-hmm. their history with sexual abuse and right that's a shame and and it, uh, again i don't think that was intentional in the movie but it's a maybe a happy accident with it but uh yeah i i love that as well um it also um a, an interesting thing there's a bunch of parallels between the characters mm. And uh, um, 
a lot of them are pretty obvious, but the the one that uh, kind of has a lot of weight with with uh, regards to what we're talking about is the fact that um, her uh, Philip Baker Hall's character is named Jimmy Gator, mm-hmm. and um, uh, John C. Riley's character is also named Jim or Jimmy. Um, and Melora Walters, uh, her character, Claudia, it's her father. And then the guy that she's kind of falling for are both named Jim. And that's, you, you would think there'd be some, some disturbing trauma there or some, uh, you know, it would automatically trigger something in her that he literally has the same name, Mm -hmm. uh, as, as him, they're polar opposites, obviously. Um, But that's that's one of the one of the parallels that has the most implications in in the movie for me, and I thought it was I, I didn't really pick up on that the first time I saw it, but it really jumped out to me this time. That was really wow. interesting. Yeah, I yeah. I didn't even realize that. That's awesome. Yeah, great writing. Yeah. Oh yeah, right. uh, yeah. I I think uh, the Phil Baker Hall uh, scenes are probably one of my favorites. I think he's his character is like maybe the most complex character Mm -hmm. throughout the whole movie um i i loved the the arc that he goes through in this and uh uh also the the kid that shares a lot of his scenes as well the the way that he's written yeah uh really fantastically done Mm -hmm. um i think that one of pta's running themes throughout all of his movies is fame and Mm -hmm. the way that he touches on it here is just really incredible um yeah uh and and in each of his movies he it it feels like he hits on a different aspect of fame and it's it's consequences and it's detriments and all that and so uh to see it here was just really great yeah oh yeah um yeah, I and I know we haven't touched on all the characters and everything. I really like Julianne Moore. Her outburst scene at the pharmacy was amazing, and uh, mm-hmm. William H Macy in the bar was was incredible. Like I thought, mm-hmm. the vulnerability of that character is in, is incredible, and he captures it wonderfully. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just this is a movie that I'm I'm gonna have to rewatch again and again at some point. Like I, yeah. it can't be another. 15 years or however long it was before I watched this again. Cause it's just, it is, it is up there. Um, I yeah. could easily talk about this movie movie for two hours. No oh, yeah. Like it's just, there's so much to dissect. I, I really love it. Um, speaking, speaking of dissecting, we haven't mentioned the frogs too. Exactly. Yeah, right. Um, I, I'm glad I didn't know that was coming in this. Movie oh, you didn't I'm, know that I'm at so all. I'm so glad about that. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, cause that, that moment just, blew me away uh, nice. not only from a practical standpoint mm-hmm. but just to bring the whole themes of the movie together in that way was just incredible and i think uh, another running theme that this movie made me realize throughout pta's movies is faith as well because mm-hmm. he deals with it here and obviously the master uh, a little bit and there will be blood as well uh well a lot and there will be blood <laughs> yeah um but uh, just just the way that he uh, implements that here is just really great. It makes me wonder just how how he views organized religion. Yeah, uh, genuinely. Right. Yeah. From what I read in the trivia, um, he I guess late in the game, like while maybe not, maybe not, maybe in pre-production, um, 
someone had told him like, oh, hey, there's this uh, piece of scripture that I think from the Old Testament that talks about, you know, blah, 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 uh, you know, uh, plague of frogs, you know, it kind of fits here. And so he went back and he like, I think it's 87. It's like, it's like eight, two, eight, two. Yeah. So like, eight, two. Yeah. And so there are like tons of references to eight and two and 82 um yeah you see someone holding a sign in the uh studio audience yeah so hold, uh with that scripture passage mm-hmm. yeah yeah um yeah the, one of the things and this is just nothing really this is a nothing burger of, of a comment but the tagline for this movie always bothered me um because and this is dumb i don't know why but it, like it always bothered me because the tagline of the movie is uh, things fall down, people look up, and when it rains, it pours. And I just feel like that has like a a certain cadence to it that feels like it should be more impactful. But I don't, I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, it just it always kind of sticks in my craw a little bit. That's like the least interesting thing about the movie. Like that's that's such a uninteresting tagline. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Compared to how fascinating the movie is, yeah, right. That's weird. PTA did, definitely didn't write that. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, that's um, what was wild to me is that it's it's like it's all over like the marketing and like it's in the it's in the trailer and like I think what 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 why it sticks in my cross so much is that back in like high school when I was like perusing the IMDb message boards, RIP, um, they don't exist anymore. Uh, like someone's like signature in all of their posts was that tagline. And like, I didn't, I had not seen the movie yet and I didn't know the context. And I was like, it's such a weird, like, it's such a weird phrasing. I don't understand, but I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's all just my idiosyncrasies. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, to, to go back to the frogs real quick for me, um, mm-hmm. I, that that was the big thing about this movie that I remembered that I kind of mm-hmm. hated. <laughs> um, I, I was just like, I remember watching it back in, I probably watched this in like 2001 or two or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, I just remember thinking that that's it's too much. He took it too far. This is too mm-hmm. unbelievable. I don't, I can't get on board with this. And I sort of, I almost wrote the movie off because of it. Oh, wow. Um, but, 20 some years later, you know, 20 years later, I, I fully love it. I, I think it was a great idea. Um, and, and, and because of, again, that prologue mm-hmm. setting up the idea that, you know, crazy shit happens. Uh, yeah, and then we mm-hmm. have young, young Stanley watching it happen in the library and he, and he goes, you know, this happens. This is something that happens. Yeah. And it kind of, it kind of does. There's, there's instances mm-hmm. of it happening in real life. Um, it's it's a very incredibly rare phenomenon and it's explainable. Mm-hmm. It's actually not a phenomenon. It's it's explainable, but it's um yeah, and I just thought it was such a um it's it's kind of funny how it's almost not addressed too. Like none of the characters really address it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um it's 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 fantastic. It's just such a fun thing to do. Yeah. You almost wonder if it's like if it's only something that happened to them or if only they see it. Yeah, mm. that's interesting. Um and I do I do like the little in addition to uh what's his face saying that like I love the little like picture of like the the painting or whatever that says but it did happen. Um like okay. Um but yeah, that that's that's interesting. I I don't think I ever really 
um, thought about it as like a figment of their imagination, if that's what you're getting at, Ben. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. I'll have to rewatch re- it and kind of revisit that. Yeah, because I, hmm. I don't know if anyone else comments on it. Like, I don't know if there's any like news reports or anything. I'll, I, I don't remember. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Um, um, I, I also kind of like the, uh, the actual ending of the movie where, um, uh, Jim, officer Jim is sitting down and explaining to Claudia, you know, a, a teary eyed Claudia that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm going to take care of you. I'm not, I'm not going to let you just walk away from, from this, from us, mm-hmm. from the connection we have and her, her just absolute, uh, joy, yeah. uh, of, of a reaction to that. Was, it was just nice and and i think the reason why i like it is because it's a it's a happy ending but it's mm-hmm. not it's not like sappy it's not right. um ridiculous you know uh to quote stanley this is something that happens this this happens mm-hmm. you know um i i just kind of like it because there there's obviously so much negativity in the movie and there's not a ton of closure for a lot of characters characters or we don't see it right we see um tom cruise's character frank tj Mackey walking into the hospital to go mm-hmm. presumably have a conversation with his stepmother who he is either estranged from or has never met or something like that um and there's you know a uh, young stanley doesn't really have any kind of happy ending or conclusion with yeah. his dad um there's there's a lot of stuff left in the air and that's fine but mm-hmm. i i kind of just like the conclusivity and the um happiness of that that final scene and i i haven't really yeah. talked about melora walters but she's so good in mm-hmm. this um i i really only know her from pt anderson movies this and boogie nights is what jumps to mind and she's fantastic in both of them um so i i really love her performance in that moment because it's all it's just her you know it's a close-up of her reaction to that and I, I i love it i thought it was a pretty interesting way to end the movie yeah absolutely yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um cool. yeah, have we sufficiently talked out Magnolia? Anything I don't know about um, talked out, but we talked about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> true, uh, true. One more thing that I loved uh which kind of goes along with the the frogs and the the idea that uh this is like part of their imagination. But the montage where they're all singing uh, that oh, song. yeah. Uh, I forget what the song is, but oh. where they're all singing together. I thought that was a really fantastic touch. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's funny. It's, um, it's Amy. Amy, Amy Mann. Mann? Why is that? Right. Um, yeah. It's interesting because, uh, Ben, you, you mentioned doing a thing for uh, community community yeah <laughs> one of the first episodes i think it's episode two or three they do uh, like they do an entire like wise up montage thing um in reference to oh this. okay yeah um i think it's spanish 101 like the first yeah. or second episode after the pilot but anyway um awesome. yeah so do we want to go ahead and go into ratings and uh status on our great movies list sure yeah all right cool um, well, i can i will go last if I, tiny... say, I, I can i can go first okay <laughs> yeah tiny uh, go ahead and get us kicked off okay um thumbs up absolutely um this is uh 
This is my favorite of the three re- we reviewed tonight. Um, nice. I gave it four stars. I'd probably bump that to four and a half after talking it out. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and definitely would be on my greatest movies list. Nice. Uh, ben, how about you? Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, definitely thumbs up. Uh, I gave it five stars. Nice. Um, yeah, it wasn't really a tough decision for me, but um, yeah, f- five stars. Uh, it's tempting to say, because this is the only PTA movie on the Ebert list, which oh, is wow. kind of incredible because he was alive for like, there will be blood in the mm-hmm. master and boogie nights. Mm-hmm. Um so it's it's tempting to just replace this with another PTA movie, but mm-hmm. I think this one would go on my list for sure. Uh, there will be more uh, PTA movies on my list mm-hmm. uh, because I think like There Will Be Blood is like one of the greatest movies ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, but word, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, this would go on my list. Sweet. Um, it's funny because I initially rated this four stars. Um, in talking it out, I think I am actually going to, uh, bump it up to 4.5. Um, just because it is, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Um, uh, thumbs up would definitely be on my great movies list. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's about all I've got for it. (laughs) Um, Um, can I ask, uh, what is your guys' favorite PTA movie? Ooh, it's so hard to pick. There will be blood. Yeah, I think for me, it's there will be blood as well. Um, yeah. yeah, Boogie just... Night, Boogie Nights, in a close second. Sure. See, Boogie Nights is a movie that I, I, I will need to rewatch at some point because I think I only saw it in maybe, maybe, maybe not until high school, and I think that might have been the only time I saw it. Um, oh wow. Yeah, you yeah. definitely need to see it again. It's super good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I only watched it for the first time, I think, last year, maybe the year before. But, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll probably say There Will Be Blood is my favorite of his nice. as well, but also The Master, uh, mm. incredible. Um, Licorice Pizza, I, I really love as yeah. well. Like, that's probably uh, my fourth favorite of his. Nice, nice. Yeah, I I really love licorice pizza as well. Um mm-hmm. yeah. Um all right, well, uh shall we pick our movies for next time? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Nice. Did I already give mine? Yeah, I already said all that. Okay. Yeah. Um <laughs> All right. So, um I guess we'll go in reverse reverse chronological order from this. Is that how we usually do it? So, I'd start us off since Sure. I had the most recent one. Anyway. Why not? Yeah. So for part 16 of our Ebert's Great Movies List review series, um, it's interesting because I actually had I had a few titles that I was considering. And then like while I had one, I've I've had an interesting kind of back and forth here. But like in talking about M, I thought like, oh, it would be neat to do this instead. So I switched it over to that. And then by the end of our conversation here, just a few moments ago, I switched it back to the original one. So anyway, um, <laughs> the movie I have selected for part two, 16 is uh, a 1922 horror film uh, that is currently streamable on Canopy and Shudder. 
It is F.W. Murnau's uh, Nosferatu. Uh, The plot summary is Vampire Count Orlock is uh, interested in a new residence and in his real estate agent's young wife. F.W. Murnau's unauthorized adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, So that is my pick for the next installment. Yep. Sweet. I've, yeah. I've almost picked that myself. I'm glad you did. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, is it is it because it's 100 years old now? Uh, that is part of it. Yep. Yep. That okay. is part of it. And the other part of it is that hopefully we'll be able to do the next installment sometime in October. I don't know, with Heartland and everything. Um, so I thought it would be nice to do like a horror movie. Um, nice. Yeah. Uh, right on. Yeah. So, Tiny, do you want to give us your pick for the next installment? Yes. Uh, this is another choice of something I've just never seen before, and it's a famous movie. Nice. Uh, I'm going with 1950s All About Eve. Oh, nice. Uh, the plot synopsis is a seemingly timid but secretly ruthless ingenue insinuates herself into the lives of an aging Broadway star and her circle of theater friends. Nice. So yeah, I really don't have uh, much much to say other than I just never seen it and I want to see it. Sweet, that is a great movie. Awesome, cool. Uh, is it uh, streamable anywhere? Uh, it is available on Hulu. Nice. Um, and while I have you guys, I want mm-hmm. to give an update to the average release year of our picks oh, so nice. far. Um, I meant to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. we are up to 1967. Uh, that's where we're at now, our average nice. year of release with the movies we've picked so far in this project. And to add another little fun little trivia in there, um, I narrowed it down to about February 1967. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. The three movies that were dominating the box office in February 1967 <laughs> were Dr. Zhivago, hmm. uh Grand Prix, which I believe huh. some of that was filmed at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, if I remember correctly. Oh, wow. And... I'd never heard of this one, The Bible in the Beginning. Oh, so wow. The three movies that were kind of dominating the box office in February 1967. That so. is awesome. That's yeah. so awesome. Well done. <laughs> nice. Thank you. Uh, Matt, sorry, did you say uh, if Nosferatu is streaming anywhere? Yeah, it is streaming on Canopy and on Shutter. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, I'm going to... Uh, pull an audible because i had a totally different uh uh movie picked as well but Mm. matt since you're picking another silent movie i'm gonna pick Mm. a silent comedy oh okay um and i'm gonna drag the uh average year down even more (laughs) um (laughs) one sec here Mm -hmm. um the movie that i'll pick uh i i read this really fantastic book earlier this year uh, by Dana Stevens uh, about Buster Keaton Ooh. Uh, called Cameraman. Uh, if either of you has a chance to read it, I highly recommend it. So okay. um, the Buster Keaton uh, movie that I'll pick uh, because there are several is uh, his uh, widely considered his masterpiece, The General from nice. 1926. Um, streaming on Prime Video and Paramount Plus and Canopy and uh, Tubi. <laughs> and uh, that's pretty much all you need to know. Yeah. 
Oh, that's awesome. This sweet. This is great because the gen all three of these are blind spots for me. Um and the general is me one too. that I've wanted to watch for a while. So this is gonna be awesome. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I've never I've never seen any Buster Keaton, so Yeah. In fact, the only Buster Keaton thing that I've seen is uh let me double check to make sure because I don't want another Agnes Varda situation here. Um, <laughs> no, the only uh, the only thing of Agnes Buster... Varda did not direct the general. Ah, damn it! <laughs> no, uh, the only thing of Buster Keaton that I've seen is actually uh, an episode of The Twilight Zone that he was in in uh, mm. season three, uh, Once Upon a Time. Uh, he plays a time traveling guy. Oh no, no, wait. I well, I mean, I guess he appeared in Sunset Boulevard. Um, yep. But yeah, but no, that's the only thing I've really seen of his. Um, so yeah. Well, and I'm also, uh, this is a pretty short movie, so I'm also mm-hmm. going to assign some uh, extra homework as well. Oh, God. <laughs> um, he has, there are several of his uh, short films available pretty oh, much nice. to stream uh, anywhere. But the one that I would recommend, uh, you can find it on YouTube. It's mm-hmm. it's called One Week. It's like 20 minutes long. It's It's mm-hmm. really great. Uh, so watch Sweet. that as well on YouTube. All right, or awesome. or any of his other short films. Nice, <laughs> one week short film, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes of this episode so that listeners can watch along with us. Um, yeah, that's awesome. So I'm very excited. Um, before we get to wrapping up and everything, uh, Ben, do you want to give us another uh, kind of kind of pitch for your for your for your for your website themoviestate.com uh what's coming up and everything and where people can find you online and everything sure uh yeah uh, like i said i'll have review of uh blonde coming out soon hopefully uh hopefully by the time this episode comes out i guess Mm. we'll that that depends on netflix um Uh, but also uh, weekly coverage of uh, the Rings of Power. Have any of you guys caught up to that yet? I haven't. No. But it's another show that I'm planning on doing episode reviews on Patreon. <laughs> um, but yeah, how is it? Are you enjoying it? Yeah, I'd say so. Okay. It's it's kind of hard to tell if it's because I'm a huge uh, Tolkien nerd mm-hmm. uh, or if it's, you know, actually a good show. But okay. uh, yeah, I, I, I like it so far. Sweet. Nice. Cool. Uh, Tiny, you haven't watched any of it? No, I'm going to wait for it all to come out and gotcha. I'll watch it then. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Sweet. Watch it on like the biggest screen you have. <laughs> yeah, that's. I've heard visually it's top notch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Um all right, and Tiny, anything any parting thoughts, anything you want to promote or anything? Uh no, nothing I can think of. Okay, nice. Well, follow Tiny on Obsessive Tiny on Letterboxd and follow Ben at the Movie State. Um all right, well, the only thing I'll say is um check out Patreon. Uh patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. We have uh damn near daily stuff that I'm putting out there. Um I'm getting ready to do a uh review of Stephen King's new book, Fairy Tale, piece by piece. So each like six chapters at a time, I'm stopping reading and sharing my thoughts and then posting them on Patreon. So read along with me. I'm also doing a very fun uh episode review series on the Netflix sci-fi German series Dark, which is spectacular 
And then I've got the aforementioned, uh, aforementioned on Patreon, um, for all mankind episode, uh, reviews coming and I'm going to be catching up on Marvel shows eventually. So a lot of stuff there, but for in the meantime, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. And, uh, yeah. Uh, also check out the other shows anthology, which I'm back at. I've done like 10 or 12 episodes so far. It's a lot of fun. Check that out. And also Tower Junkies, uh, which is always a good time. So anyway, uh, thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you in the next episode. And now, enjoy this short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. For the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, such as early access to episodes... TV book and movie reviews and reaction recordings, commentary tracks, and Patreon potpourri episodes, go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Interesting. I think part of the reason why the Emmys aren't as exciting is because there's so much of it. Like, yeah, the, the Emmys and the Golden Globes, like mm-hmm. Golden Globes is movies and TV shows. And yeah. Emmys just has so many categories. It feels like a lot of stuff just kind of gets lost in the shuffle. And yeah. that's that's the yeah. cool thing about both of them is that a lot of people get a lot of chances, yeah. which is nice. But it, I feel like it's just not as special because there's so many categories. I don't know. That's just yeah. kind of my thoughts. I agree. And the television medium itself is is very broad. So like, it's not like it's something that, I mean, it's it's hard enough to keep up with all the movies that come out and everything. And to think that like, Oh, I'm going to dedicate 10 hours of my life to watching this show. Like it, it, that's a, that's a big commitment in my, in my eyes. And I say that as someone who has watched two and a half seasons of master chef in the last (laughs) month. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) this podcast was edited and produced by Matt hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com. You can find links to all of our shows at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. For exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.